Welcome back to the NEPA Scene Podcast. This is episode 11. And uh, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually, uh, we're meeting at a different time. Usually we, uh, we record these on Mondays uh, and uh, today is Sunday. So we're going to uh, just kind of talk about ourselves uh, rather than <laughs> go through, uh, you know, the, the process of getting to know someone. Screw everyone else. Tonight, it's just all about us. And uh, we figured it was about time. I mean, uh, we've, we've done, uh, you know, 10 episodes so far and. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about my, you know, uh, a little bit about my journalism background in the first episode. And, you know, you get to know us little bits here and there throughout each episode. But, you know, what, what, why, you know, who are all these people? Uh, you know, why, why do they, why do we matter? Yeah. Why, why don't why, we matter? Why do you care what we have to say? That's why sort should of thing. you care? Yeah, exactly. So we figured, why not? Let's just, uh, let's just talk about it ourselves and each other. So, um, so I'm not even going to do the first bit where we talk about the site or anything like that. Let's just get right into it. And just, you want to talk about the site at all? No, no. I mean, there, there's uh, go to the site, go to any scene.com. Oh my God. It's on there. Rich is officially given up. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> it's over. Rich is like, the site doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> there's nothing new that you did this week. Well, no, it, it's not that there's nothing that we didn't do. Or I just don't want like to deprive that. the world of getting to know what happened. Well, they should go week. to the damn site and read it. Maybe that, maybe that's what's happening is that you're recapping. Yeah. Maybe I'm talking, maybe I'm like, telling too much. I'm giving too much away. It, you know what it should be? There's a great article about a band. There's a great <laughs> article about an artist. Yep. Nepacene.com. Right. All one word. No, no, no slashes. No. Why buy the cow when you get NEPA scene for free? <laughs> What does that As even they say, mean? That's Who says that? Saying. That's what that's that's a new common. saying. That's that is what they it's say. An old wives tale. All right. So um, we like every every I guess like every week we really don't have a format. We try to adhere to one, but we, we don't. We try to introduce ourselves. Yes. Every week. We should do that. So let's. So, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Rich Howells. I'm the founder and editor of NEPA scene. Uh, I think that's probably self-explanatory, but um lauren i am lauren corolico mark says that i'm the voice of reason i'm not sure what that means it means you're the voice of reason lauren i don't know how that's pretty self-explanatory okay i'm mark denabom i'm the voice of unreason i guess you're like loki i'm not but not like that no mm, am i a little bit i'm not like mischievous am i a little bit shit and uh i run uh 25 8 productions and studios and and then there's the other guy hi my name is jim reynolds and i run the stud at 25 8 studios in which i record bands audio books do sound design for commercials and mix movies as well if you have any other challenges please come and bring them my way like what like what would sword be? fight yeah i've never recorded a sword fight <laughs> <laughs> let's do it okay all right like to you what would be the most challenging thing that you could do right like that you can think of i'm sure there's within reason not like i want to record like lunar rocks um a huge orchestra is that what I get you, you'd want to do by like a numbers huge? and i just feel like i would be overwhelmed by a huge number of people that i have to record like when we watch those um clips where they record sound libraries or orchestras for movies and they're like 120 tracks that would scare me but it, but it's something that you'd be willing to do. Oh yeah, because it only make you any challenge makes you better or makes you quit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but not well, you. Let's, 
Well, let's let's start with you then. How did you um, how did you how did you get into doing what like because you have two professions, right? Well, and so how did right. the, yeah. so how did you get three into, even really? Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even think I, I totally discounted your talent as a musician. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none. Actually, you're like you're pretty much a master of all your trades, which is very rare. Uh, I mean, but there's you, always room for improvement. Yeah, but you can say that. But from me looking at it, you know, I'm I'm totally jealous of everything that you do. Thank you. I'm jealous of you too. The, the yeah, your ability to edit movies and sit and watch them. I have a hard time <laughs> even just sitting and watching a movie. You're you're jealous of the fact that I can sit and eat and eat and eat, you know, high fructose corn syrup candies. Nothing. You got nothing I did, on that one. Well, I was one. confused. I don't know. <laughs> well, you usually eat Chinese food. And watch movies. I'll eat whatever the hell's in front of me and watch a movie. Right. Well, I don't know. We'll, t- we'll test that theory out. <laughs> but <No>. anyway, <laughs> I got into um, sound. How'd you get into just music? How did I get it? Okay. I'll start there, I guess, because that's the that's like when I was three years old or two years old. So as far back as I can remember, my first memories were of sitting in my grandpa's basement and watching my dad's band rehearse. And my dad was in a band called the Blue Trolley Band. He was in a band with his brother and two other guys. It originally starting. Actually, no. When it first started, they had a drum machine. And then... In, they, the, in the 80s. In the 80s. Early 80s. I think it was like 82, 83. And this was before I was born. But then they got a drummer, replaced the drum machine, and then I was born. <laughs> and from two to three years old, I would, you know, every once in a while, my dad would bring me down. And it was really cool because... Their practice room was set up like a recording studio. There was the the studio room where the the drum kit was, their guitar amps, and everybody would be standing around. And then in the other room, there was recording gear because when they weren't practicing with their band, they'd be writing music and making demos and that sort of thing with it. So, you know, being a two to three year old kid, you know, just music in itself is overwhelming and an awesome experience, let alone, you know, you being in the perspective of a two year old. You know, you're very short. So looking up and seeing all this gear, like seeing these reels spinning, seeing these meters moving, looking up and seeing my dad with his guitar, watching the drummer like play this drum kit that's bigger than, you know, 10 of my bodies at the time. <laughs> you know, like it was just really, it was an awesome experience. And I would just sit there and listen. And um, so, I mean, was it like sensory overload? It's like yeah, sight, but it was sound, like, and it was like, I, I don't know what this is or like what I'm really hearing, but I, I got to hear more of it. So, you know, during that time, um, you know, that was that was an awesome experience to have. Then when I'd be home, you know, my dad was awesome because he, and my mom, because they let me play with their stereo and everything from a year, very young age, you know, and I, I think if I had a child, you know, the stereo would be off limits. But I remember waking up on Saturday mornings and this was like when stereo, like when you bought a stereo, this was a stereo. It was all it was modular huge. components. Yeah, like the, the amplifier was one thing. The tape player was a different thing. The record player was its own. Everything was different. So I remember I'd wake up even before my parents would be up on a Saturday morning and I would put on my dad's headphones. And one of the first memories I have of putting the headphones on was listening to Michael Jackson. I can't remember what Michael Jackson song it was, but I remember turning the dial and as soon as it tuned in to Michael Jackson. um, You know how like on older stereos when you had to actually dial in the radio to the channel, right? Yeah. It would be mono until you got to 
the station that was like oh right, really right on yeah well at least on my mom's console yeah so it was like i heard michael jackson all staticky and then boom i locked right onto it and i heard him like it was just like amazing to me because i had these headphones on and i, I was no longer in my living room i was hearing michael ja jackson at like a concert you know because i didn't know what reverb was i didn't know what delay was i didn't know anything about mixing and i just remember you know between watching my dad's band practice sitting in my living room putting the headphones on and just thinking to myself like what is this that i'm hearing like what's this sound what's that sound i remember hearing a pick scratch for the first time and i had no idea what what it was i didn't even know it was a guitar i was just like what is this noise that sounds awesome and from that point, um, you know, I would listen to my dad's tapes and that sort of thing because he always had tapes lay lying around for uh, like practice. cassette tapes, cassette though. tapes yeah. for practice, and he had a couple of cassette tapes of his own demos that he recorded with his brothers because my a lot of my family is very musically talented, and um, that was my first impression of music was from like just a blown away as like a bystander, and I was like, wow, this is something that I have to do. So, yeah, but that was the moment that. So those are the moments where you became a fan of music. It's when I became a fan of music, and it's actually a point of time where I look back now as a musician and an engineer, almost being envious of myself at that time because I was able to completely let music wow me. Now I can't listen to music anymore the same way because I, I'm, I'm constantly dissecting it. I'm constantly judging things. I'm listening to what effects are being used back then when you don't know anything about that it's just this wall that slams it's magic you you're like it's magic that's all you can really say and it's like almost like the more you learn about it the more the the magic fades away because <laughs> it's all technical you know what i mean so when i when i start getting aggravated at myself with mixing too much or playing too much i i try to put myself back in that mind frame and think to myself like music is an incredible experience and i just have to try to re remove myself from the from the technicalities that can overwhelm you and just just be entertained by it and enjoy it so then when i was about seven years old now, this is great we don't even have to ask questions keep going jim <laughs> i'm just giving you the the history no i mean i was that was probably going to be the next question i was going to ask but <laughs> okay. i was like this is great if i you know if you need to just cut me off cut me off but never so bobby keller loves you <laughs> He's gonna have this is a the lot most of I've you. ever talked. I, I know. This is why it's all about you, baby. So I was seven years old, maybe six and a half, and my dad found a drum kit that somebody was throwing away, and it was a junior drum kit. With like I think it was like six inch, eight inch, and a ten inch toms and a kick drum and that sort of thing. So my dad took it, cleaned it all up, got new heads for it machine new hardware for it for whatever was missing because my dad's a machinist. <laughs> And um, that was an awful noise. Oh, sorry. I just. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, I thought it was a machine noise. No, yeah, Jimmy. I'm the just machine. trying to. Yeah, I'm trying machine to, gun Jim. Just he's hiding his own sound effects now. Snorfed. <laughs> so he machined all the parts that were missing. Bought me some symbols and that sort of thing. And then. Um, now, did you ask for that? No, no. My dad. I just remember my dad and my mom. I think they woke me up one night. And, one night. Uh, it's 3 a.m. We have a drum kit. Start no, it was playing. just like my mom was like, um, you, you know, we have something special for you. So it's a my, sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's another. That's another podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How babies are made. <laughs> oh, no. Accident. The stork. Yeah. 
No, but um, so my they brought me down in my basement and they showed me that we have like an old coal bin. That's not a coal bin. It's just like a storage area now. And um, the site of murders. Yeah, they just showed me the drum kit and I was amazed by it. And then did you immediately start playing it or at least hitting it? No, because it needed some work. So my but but from that point on, it became my dad and I. It became our project to get it back to, to so the drums were your first instrument then my drum yeah drums were my first instrument and i didn't play guitar until about i was about 13 or 14 oh okay so so for it, almost like 10 years you were playing or just eight. drums yeah just really? drums. and my dad i gotta give him credit my dad who's not you know not a drummer taught me how to play drums you know he taught me the the basic coordination i need and then I would put on records. I'd listen to Led Zeppelin or Eric Clapton or the Beatles and just put my headphones on and just hours I'd play along. And again, I got to give my parents credit for that because that can get old hearing drums after a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to watch my story. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I got into that. And then when I was in about seventh grade is when I started playing guitar. I just was like, finally, I was overwhelmed by all the notes and I was like, I can never do that. But I saw other people around me learning how to play, and I figured, let me give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen, you know? Sure. And then from there... Still no more questions <laughs> asked. <keep> going. <laughs> After I learned... It was kind of like when I learned how to play guitar was also when I started um, learning recording. Because at that time, my dad's band kind of dissolved, and my grandpa's basement was kind of... just It was just like some gear all disassembled and everything sitting down there. So at my house, um, with my... My dad set up his old reel-to-reel recorder for me, and my friend Tim and I would record horrendous, horrendous um, covers of the Beatles. You know why were they so bad? Because they're just like I didn't know much about recording, and we did. We both really didn't know much about playing either. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I, we used to, which I mean, playing should help. <laughs> we didn't have like we didn't use guitar amps, so we would. Pl- I would plug Tim's guitar right into a distortion pedal, and the distortion pedal right into the front of the tape machine. So everything's like real glassy distortion. And I had two kind of crappy mics that I got with a karaoke machine. And they were my drum mics, one in the kick and one over the, the kit. I mean, I got it. Like, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's very crude. You know, but it was fun. I learned how to punch in and out on tape. And I learned how to, you know, I learned the how to record and make sure your levels aren't hot and that sort of thing. And Watching it on tape is a completely different experience of learning how to record digital because there's more hands-on involved. Your tape can get jammed up. Your heads get dirty. You have to demagnetize every once in a while. And if you record something too hot, you ruin the tape and the, something's stuck on there forever. See, I think there's. I think people think that there's way too much of a simplicity in digital. And 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 and, and like I watch you, and I don't know, like like it's it's almost like um like watching you do stuff with with analog. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like not only do you have to be like you know really sharp at what you're doing, but you have to be like a mechanic, a technician. Oh yeah, you know a problem solver. You have to have patience, mm-hmm. right? And, and we we I think we live in a an age where things are so disposable now. Like even some of the gear, the digital gear that I have, if it breaks, I mean, I'm kind of screwed. You just throw it away for the most part because there's barely any repair places. And sometimes it's more to repair it than it is to buy a new piece of gear. But anyway, like being a, I kind of, I compare being an analog lover or like old gear lover to someone that likes antique cars. Cause when you own an antique car, if you don't know anything about cars or repair, you're going to be spending so much money if you can't work on it yourself. Yeah, so. but that's part of the, isn't that, don't you think that that's part of the joy of it is that you get to, right. it's, it's a, it's a, 
it's tangible. You can touch it. You can right, definitely. That's why people that own antique cars, most of them can work on them themselves, or at least have some knowledge how to pop the hood and get things running. But it's the same thing with analog gear. You know, it's if something starts getting crackly or something acts up or whatever, something blows out. You have to. I don't know how to repair electronics and like really like a lot of detail. Like but circuit I, I can, boards. I can look at things and see if something's blown out like you know what it looks like right and cleaning things or you know diagnosing a problem you know and then if i can't repair it myself sometimes like i can call a repair place and get parts for it or whatever i need so when did you when did you start playing in bands um well the first band that i had was with my friend tim doing that stuff and we played a couple parties that our friends wanted us to play and then at the same time i had a interest in now, like, this was, like, all at the same time, kind of, maybe within a year or two. Getting into recording again, also kind of, I tried to get my dad to, to to get back onto it again, too, and kind of sparked his interest in it again. Because, like I said, the, my dad wasn't playing in this band anymore. And um, the studio in my grandpa's basement was kind of all in parts. So, we got a, I got him to, you know, go down there, and we got everything hooked back up. And to replace the analog tape i bought a um it's when mini discs were big remember mini discs oh my god yeah and the the, recorder, the square cds yeah yeah a little cd inside yeah so the the recorder that i had was um they were like mini discs the same exact thing was just a marketing thing but the you couldn't record onto a mini disc you had to buy one that was special for this machine it was the same exact thing it actually played mini discs but you couldn't record onto them you had to buy their special format yeah you know yeah. what i mean it was just but Instead of paying five dollars for a disc, I had to pay twenty every time. <laughs> but anyway, we I, it was a digital multi-track recorder, so that was like awesome for that time. And this is like this is like nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, and two thousand. This isn't like forever ago. But when you put it in the perspective of how far technology has come, that's why it blows my mind. You know, because this this is when I was in high school. So we got that going. Um, I would go down in the basement with my dad and his brother my cousin and we we actually made a, an album or two just screwing around down there we played a couple benefits and then i'd say i got serious about being in bands probably around 2005 i i joined a band with my dad and our friend nunzi i love nunzi and we play classic rock and at that same time um, my other friend was interested in playing and i joined maybe someday which we played a lot of like pop music and more contemporary and played like tinks and then what became hardware bar and all those kind of places for you know people are yeah but you guys were incredibly successful as maybe someday we yeah it's crazy i don't know really what happened we were just at the right place at the right time and knew the right people but we were yeah we were sent, we were packing bars where they used to have to count people leaving to let people in <laughs> with fire code so from there um i always i always had recording as a hobby now, were you recording albums while maybe someday, and it was Cameron Avband at the time, right? Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. So you were still recording though, right? Yeah. I, I recorded Cameron Avenue Band. We made a demo CD to hand out to bars. Maybe someday we made an original album. Um, and then after my original, or the maybe someday original album, that's when uh, Brian Brophy and I started working on his Autumn Sunrise album. And kind of overlapped in the time there when I started working with Tom Graham on his album, which is going to be released in February. But it was weird because all these projects that I was working on between Brophy and Tom kind of went on hold for a while. And um, not that I stopped recording, but it was just well, life, ha life happens. Right, life happens, and it's just again, it's a hobby. And um, 
I've always had a rig. So like it would it was a laptop for a while and I was able to bring that to location to either record shows or a couple bands I, I would show up in their basement and hook up mics and record their practices and that's kind of how I like hone my skill on practicing and or practicing recording actually is there a so, great is there a great benefit to doing everything wrong definitely what do you for playing wise or no I mean just in, oh. in recording or playing or, or whatever because I think like you know the lessons you learn by doing it incorrectly are more valuable than somebody saying oh this is the right way to do it right yeah I think um Music wise, sometimes it's great to make a mistake because sometimes you'll play a chord over another chord that you wouldn't have done before, but it sounds awesome together, for example, or a couple like a melody line over something else you wouldn't have done, or a vocal part out of time with another one that works, you know, things like that. Um, as far as recording, definitely, because that's why it's the art of recording, because sometimes you you want to do things completely different and like non conventional because you want a different sound. So sometimes it's great to overload your your mixer with your drums just so you get a distorted drum sound that 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 works for the character of a song or a distorted vocal or like I said plug in the distortion pedal right into the tape machine that's what the Beatles did to record Revolution that's why that guitar is so iconic I mean he, they were using a tube distortion pedal and a tube console and that sort of thing but it's the same idea but sometimes you break the conventional rules and get something completely different and that's that was another um huge influence on me was the beatles because they were a band and they also had recording knowledge and they were coming out with like cutting edge ideas on that that revolutionized the recording industry you know a lot i could go in a whole, a whole podcast of just different ideas they came up with don't worry we have 52 <laughs> a year to fill yeah well i mean <laughs> but they were they were um the first band to use a direct box because george martin invented it for for whatever reason and the Beatles had an application for it. They were um, the first band to uh, record a bass with a bass speaker. They, they took a bass cabinet <clears throat> when Paul was playing and they took a bass speaker, hooked it up backwards and used it as a microphone to record the bass frequencies into the console so they got a different sound. They were the first band to record the, with the mics closer to the kit. That's why they had such a distinctive sound on like the revolver album and did you get of. did you guys know that that a microphone can also be a speaker i did not know that you didn't yeah you didn't know that no i had no idea yeah, yeah. Hmm. you could actually what we're talking into now you can actually turn into something that makes sound hmm. it's the same idea because it's a vibrating diaphragm right it makes sense so when you say it if your voice is hitting it and it's going into a system or if it's coming out of a system and then vibrating the diaphragm on the end of it so hmm. yeah do you know how i learned that how? And Jimmy, I didn't learn that from you, which <laughs> I, I'm sorry I didn't. I learned it at a young age. What did you do? I had a member. I was. Oh, yeah. The, AIWA. Yeah. They had like it was like the big thing where they had like the three disc changer and you, yeah. could, you could pick hall concert rock. Oh, you yeah. Know, these presets yep. and shit. Mm -hmm. Jazz pop. So I was. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was. A, I was a shower singer um, at best when I was a kid. I always wanted to just be a singer. <laughs> I always wanted to be like this, just like the guy in the front, which goes back to last week's where I'm like, I think I'm Mama Cass and at 27, I'm going to choke on a ham sandwich and everybody's going to realize that I'm a brilliant person. <laughs> Not the case, but the Iowa, I went to Radio Shack because it had a microphone in, right? Okay. Like one of those eighth inch right, right. microphone ins. Mm -hmm. 
and I accidentally once plugged it into the headphone out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, why is there sound coming out of here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did the same thing. And that's how I found out that that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what that if you take apart a little microphone and you take apart like for like a little tape recorder and you take apart a pair of headphones, you'll see a lot of similarities. Yeah, they all kind of use the same parts, but in different yeah. ways. But see, that all goes like knowing the technicalities and recording and all that kind of stuff goes into being able to t- maintain your own gear or if something goes wrong, how to troubleshoot it or fix it. But it's I mean, like whole, that's the important, I, I think that's the important thing is to make those mistakes. Definitely. And that's why like people have- It makes huge, you better on the fly well, when you you're can, in the studio. Right, you can use it later on. And that's when I was recording the bands in the basement, even though it was just their demos or whatever, like I learned people skills and- psychology skills and dealing with crises or whatever would yeah what's it like so okay so i'm not the journalist here but i i just know jimmy's story um so what like a two-parter right Mm -hmm. what's what's it what made you like what made you make the leap from going from like you know mobile house recorder Mm -hmm. engineer Mm -hmm. to to this and then um, a little bit about like what's it like to deal because every every musician's different, right? So like, what's it like to record with different people or to mix with different people? So like, how did you get to here? And then what's it like, you know, dealing with different personalities? Okay. Um. So what made, okay. So first, <laughs> what made me make the leap? Um. Yeah. What made you go from like, all right, it's time to bump it up? Um. Looking at a lot of people around me. Um, sometimes I wonder why I'm not like a lot of my other friends who are like married right now and have kids and have different responsibilities like that. Um, but I feel like the mass of people kind of fall into that category where, you know, you you go to college, you get married after college, you get your nine to five job and then that just becomes the routine of your life. And, um, I've always been against that, I feel like. Not against it like in a bad way. It's just that's I don't feel like that's my style, at least at this point in my life. Not and your destiny? It's not my destiny. I, I feel like there's something a little bit more that I, I want to get out of it. I'm not sure what it is, but I want to break the mold for myself, and I didn't want to just immediately graduate college and do that. So I figure, I think a, like following the masses, that's what people do. And I wanted to do something that, I truly believed in and I, I I just have this maybe it's maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm just I don't know the word just like uh, delusioned or th- <laughs> think misguided. That there's, it's not misguided it's like uh, like think there's a utopia somewhere but I, okay. I truly believe that if you have enough passion and belief in something and you do it I feel like it will reward you in some way or another even though while you're doing it it sometimes like ben it seems Franklin insufferable said, keep thy shop and thy shop will keep thee it's like I I I was heavy. Breathe, sleep. Everything is music to me, you know? Like whenever I can watch something on YouTube like a technique or watch a, an artist or when I can read an article about how somebody recorded something or <clears throat> if I can watch something on television music related if it's one of my idols or even open myself up to something new. Can I can I just say this about Jimmy to you guys like Jimmy like you know like I I'm here late and usually like when i get home jimmy's watching some sort of thing about like oh this is what this plugin does and this is what oh this is a new way to put microphones somewhere and this is what you know what i mean so like like you know it it gives you like some sort of like 
he he still has like this childlike wonderment over everything even though like the basics of recording are the same you know he wants to find ways to make it different better um i can't settle for monotony and i'd like the art in it too much to just settle with Oh yeah, you plug a microphone in, throw it in front of the drums. Like, there's there's more to it than that. You know what I mean? And that's what gives you your character sound. Yeah. Now I heard you the other day talking to Angela about like the what's it the the one two three rule or oh something? the three to one rule three for, to one rule for yeah mic placement so that you don't get phase cancellation when you're trying to record something. Like he knows all this stuff, and I'm just like, hey, you just put the microphone over there, and you should you should. Be it's fine. funny because like I sound like such a nerd when I when I talk about what's this wrong stuff, with but, being a nerd. No, but I'm I'm happy about it because that's who I am, and that's how I'm just passionate about what. I record and what all my toys here. So what's it like? What's it like working with individual individual clients? Um, okay, so I made the leap just because I wanted to um, try to see the reward that I could get from something I believe in so much. Um, and you have to maintain a good balance because, like anything, when you when you make it your make it a business, you now have a responsibility to other people beside yourself. It's no longer a hobby where if you mess something up, it's just your own thing you messed up so you always have to keep a good balance and you can't experiment on other people's time and that sort of thing you know unless they're down for it some people are down for it and just they say how can i get this sound and i don't know well let's try this you know so after that um i'd have to say working with musicians it, it, it opened up that door because there were people coming to me now because my name is out there i guess in some way or another, not really <laughs> that much, job? but you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, who recorded that or who, who rec- it could be something we did live in the, the warehouse, but um, I've gotten to work with musicians that I never would have if I didn't start the business. I, I, I kind of made friends even with Mark and, you know, because we both, both of our passions kind of overlap, you know what I mean? So even that, for example, and as well Mark, as our bed sheets. <laughs> and even even through that like i've met a lot of musicians through mark you know and and i can i'm gonna use john smith as one example from the underground saints um he's a phenomenal musician and songwriter and is an incredible producer as well and when i work with him it's almost like i, I recorded a couple demos for him when he before he moved to nashville and I kind of felt guilty charging him to record because I was learning from him more than anything else. You know, I felt like... Well, I think when everybody that comes in, you learn something a little bit new. When, when, yeah. When Chad Saliga was here... Well, right, exactly. I'm just using John Smith as an example. <coughs> right, right, right. This is the, the, he was the first one that I worked with. And I like the same thing with Tom Graham. But Tom, John Smith was the first musician that was kind of a stranger to me that I worked with. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Just learning things from his production style or... You know, how we would approach a, a sound or how we would approach a mix. I learned from that myself. And he's and, very particular. Right. He's very particular. Um, and I, I have to say that with all the bands that I work that have come through the studio here, not, you know, not just John, but, you know, you learn something from everybody. <clears throat> and like you were saying before, you learn from, from things you like and you learn from things you don't like. And, you know, even when you're doing something the right way, it might not be the sound you're looking for and you, you learn how to correct it. So yeah, it's a constant I, learning experience. And I, and I don't want there to be like this misconception out there about like when, when, when you say, when you say things like, you know, things you don't like, it's, it, it's not necessarily that you don't like it. It's just, it's just not your style. 
Right. It's the same thing as like, you know, some people like, you know, tomatoes, other people don't. Well, just think about it this way. Think about, um, think about heavy metal. Right. And think about a country song and just listen to the drums. Okay. So you listen to the metal drums and then you listen to country drums are two completely different sounds. Now, if I was to approach a session recording a country singer and I, I mic'd up the drums in a way that you'd record them in a metal setting. It's not, I didn't do it wrong. It's just not right for the song. So right. Kind, so, I mean, but, but I mean, those are the things that, those are the things that you learn. And, and, right. and, but, but, you know, I think the thing that I've learned about you is like, no matter what kind type of music it is, is that you appreciate it and you want to do it. Well, there's, there's something at the essence can. of that music, that music <clears throat> that makes it that style of music. Right. And you have to understand what that is and you have to understand the defining characteristics of that, whether it's the writing style or whether it's the technicality side of it when you're getting down to the EQs and the mic placements of things. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. And you're with the analog to digital argument, like you were saying before, with yeah. things getting easier or more difficult, I think... You know, for example, Logic, I could just call up a drum kit and I could click on metal or I could click on rock or I could click on country. I don't know, like I, some people might not know why one is a rock kit and one's a country kit. They just, okay, I'm going to do a rock song. I'm going to click rock. But there, I feel like that kind of thing, if you fall into that trap and that's all you learn, you can kind of shortchange yourself. There's more to learn if you get hands-on with it and make the mistakes and try to be organic with it rather than just taking pre-sampled and pre-packaged things. And now, and now you're moving into something totally outside of your realm of experience. What's that? Films. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Yes. And I never, I never ever thought about recording in terms of um, film. I never thought I would do that, but it's, it's actually pretty cool and I'm really enjoying it because Working with music is fun and all, but this is a completely different challenge. And it's something that, again, breaks up the monotony of it because you're not just recording a guitar. Or you're recording vocals, but you're mixing them in a different way. And you have to be... Things have to be, I'm finding, more honest because you can't hide a bad vocal track. And not just performance-wise, but you can't hide a bad-sounding um, vocal track. or dialogue track behind a a bass guitar or a violin or something. You know, I mean, sometimes you can if you have background music, but it's very honest. If you over-process something or if you screw something up when you're recording it, it's going to show. See, I kind of I kind of threw Jimmy under the, <laughs> under the bus. And I'm like, uh, you have six days to, to mix an entire film. Oh. And he's like... And which film is that? Susquehanna. It's mm-hmm. a local guy named John Young Condi um, who is uh, a USC graduate. He, uh, I wanted, I, I, I hope we have him on a podcast right now, but it, it's, it, I mean, you got to understand this process. Like he's still doing post while delivering scenes and like, he just left a session right now, but he has to go home and get the, the scenes ready for tomorrow. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're doing all these processes on top of each other and you're just trying to literally juggle all the plates and make sure none of them fall. And um, him and Jimmy have a good, you know, after two days now, like they have a really good rapport and, you know, John knows what he wants and Jimmy knows how to give it to him. But, you know, I, I got to admit, I was a little Jimmy. I don't know if I told you this, but what? No, you didn't. I was I was a little I, I you know, I have to there's a couple there, there, there's a couple of things where, where, you know, I was a little I was a little frightened about, you know, putting you into a, a new 
environment. It's like it's like taking the Little Mermaid and putting her on land. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, like, I was Ursula also turned into a, a human too, with legs. Yeah, she came after so, her. Right. There's um, always Yeah, that's exactly problems the metaphor that can chase I was going you down. <laughs> um but at the other but on the other side too, you know, I know you love music. Right. And I didn't I was I was a little concerned that, you know, because you're such a kind and nice person that I was a little concerned that I it it, it might be perceived as like I kind of bullied you into it. No. No, I, I, I accept any challenge. And like even, you know, I'd say within the last year and a half, two years of my life, I've watched more movies than I ever have. You're welcome. You know? Right. And, you know, but now I'm now like, just like I would listen to a song and pick it apart and be like, oh, this is how the drums are working or this is how they sound like they're recording or recorded. I, I listen to movies and now I'm like dissecting the audio portion of movies. Like I'm listening and thinking, is this a spot where it's completely just vocals is it a part where there's music behind it? Is this am I getting an emotional impact now because of the the actual scene? Is it the delivery of the the lines? Is it the music behind it? If it's the music, again, it's something that I can relate to. Is like what's working in the music that is pulling my emotion, or or what's working in the line? What's or working it, in the mix? Okay, yeah, we're, like okay, we're in a we're in a, a I don't know somebody's living room in a scene in a movie. Okay, where's the dialogue coming from? What speaker is it coming from? You know, what, what, where are the ambient sounds coming from, and why? You know, so it's like I'm. My it's, mind it's is, almost a little bit more. It's it's chaotic. It is. You know, but at the yeah. at the end of the day, like you know, and any editor, any uh, any any engineer, any producer, anything, you know, visual effects guys, um, you know their biggest compliment is for somebody to say that they never noticed. Definitely. Your, your art has to be transparent for it to be successful. I, I think in film or I, I don't, maybe not all the time, but some people go after a certain style or look, but I just want you to know that you're now in the realm of things to do mm -hmm. that you could potentially get an Oscar. That's crazy. Yeah. That's nuts. That's, that's really because sound mixers and sound designers get Oscars. And you can also probably get a Grammy too. That's cool. I don't know the difference between an Oscar and a Grammy or any of that kind of Please stuff. Please don't say that again out loud. <laughs> I just know they have especially TV to the film guy over awards. here. Yeah, Grammys are for are for <laughs> Grammys are for music. Okay. Oscars are for film. Okay. Tonys are for theater. Musical. Okay. Also. Well, I mean, it's theater musicals. You know, if there's you the did Tony a Awards. What's the what's the what's the name of the thing? Uh, Tracy Jordan had it on 30 Rock where he was always trying to the EGOT and the Emmy. Yeah. So if we did a TV show or or, 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 or a, uh, a, a film for TV, you could possibly get an Emmy. So you're in a really good position. Like you're in a better position for me to get an EGOT. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's I'm learning things. You have the, the possibility to get an EGOT, to get the EGOT, which is like, the the big four, which is the the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony. I, really well, I don't know about theater. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to get wait, a wait. Tony here. So, Jimmy, you're in a great place to get the ego. ego. <laughs> the ego. Yeah. Forget the T. Uh-huh. Hold the T. Oh. Um, all right. Do you want to move to Lauren? Sure. Because enough, enough of you. Yeah, Jimmy, of you just spoke for like 40 minutes. I'm just a bag minutes. of wind today. It was You 40. are. <laughs> 39 minutes and 58 seconds. All right. So how did you get started? I was born. Besides birth. I was born on the Upper East Side over the FDR Drive. And Could, I was shuffled about the tri-state area for a period of time. 
Jersey, PA, New York. Jersey, New York, CT. Connecticut. Connecticut. Connecticut's yeah. considered the tri-state. Tri-state, area. yeah. I thought I thought New York, New Jersey, and Philly were the tri-state area. It's three states touching each other. So's, so it so's okay. Yeah, that was my tri-state area. That anyway. was your, okay. That was your tri-state. That was area. my tri-state. I guess okay. that this is that would uh, the corner of. New Jersey, New York, and yeah, that PA. would be another. That, that would be another two tri-state, tri-state area. areas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was on the other tri-state area. Okay. Uh, tri-state B. I would. I don't know if I would say it's tri-state, tri-state B, but a. considering where we are at the present, I will go with it. Pennsylvania. <laughs> anyway, I I had an upbringing and a half. Did all the extracurriculars. Played all the instruments. Did all the ballets. Did all the things. Were you the extra mile child? Oh yeah. <laughs> I was, I was uh, the that, overachiever. Yeah, well, that's that's an understatement. Were you the one who, like all the other kids, were like, "Fuck her"? No, she's so smart. No, that was my cousin. She was better than than me at everything that we did. So you said you, the overachiever, looked at her and said that. Well, I just stole her brown crayon and made her cry for a while. Love that you, was Nina. Your, <laughs> that was your, that was she me. Couldn't get another brown crayon. Well, she did, but burnt sienna. No, it was brown. Okay, it was brown. All right, so so you're so total overachiever, right? From a family of overachievers, right? Because um, your mom and dad are are very uh, excellent. Ex- yeah, yeah. My growing up, I knew my mom had about five graduate degrees, and my father was just kind of incredible in his own set of ways, and I had to live up to that. So I went to. All the best did you, schools. Did you, did you feel like you had to live up to that or was it some, something where they're like, you have to live up to Oh, this? no, I had to be excellent. So they wanted you to be excellent. Well, they just assumed I would be excellent, but I had to be more excellent than they presumed I would be. Personally. Personally, yes. Okay. Otherwise, right. otherwise everything would have been a waste on me. Okay. <laughs> it, it seemed like a shame to throw any of it away. Now I feel bad about my parents. All right, go. No, 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 no. Well, it takes a village to raise an extraordinary child, I suppose. And my cousins and I were kind of raised extraordinarily by, by all my aunts and uncles and and my grandmother and everybody in the family just can't kind of came together and raised us. And it was it was a good upbringing. But when it came time for me to choose my college path, I kind of had a little crisis of what do I do? Do I go to art school and become an artist? Do I go to music school and become a professional violin player do i go to business school and make lots of money do i go to law school and become a lawyer so i uh but you had all of those options in front of you yeah you could have done any of them i got accepted to most of the school so came time i had to choose what the heck am i going to do with myself and i chose to go to seton hall university in south orange new jersey to pursue a career in communication and specifically, was that, was that something no one ever expected you to do? Oh no, I think they expected it. I think everything that I did kind of revolved around this central idea of mediating information or uh, media in general right. to everybody else in the family. We used to put on uh, parlor sessions where my cousins and I would make performances, but we'd I'd also record it and videotape it and then repackage it for the family. Can we put those up on the internet? No, never, website? ever, ever, ever will those ever make a light of <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah, let's do it. No. There's, uh, Jimmy I, and I might have a surprise for you. might have to you. contact your family and put okay. a, a bounty Jimmy. on those tapes. Jimmy. What? I don't want to say it out loud, but remember that, DV, do you remember that DVD that you have? Oh, yeah. Do you think we should give that to Rich? 
Oh my God! If there's somebody that would appreciate it, it would be Rich, and if and to know what to do with it, it it is a true gem. All right, people should people should pay attention. Just remember that we're not going to say any more about nope. it on the podcast, but just keep that idea somewhere that there we might, might be something we might awesome. have a ninety pin, pin that up gem. somewhere, right? Just, yeah, and we want to give it to you exclusively. Yeah. Now I remember the retro. Right, you heard it here first. Do you remember the retrospective thing that you did for the Globe? Yes. This would well, be I, like, I didn't do that. I didn't right, do that. Right, 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 right. No, but this would that. be WBIA on the same lines. Right but, right, but you posted it. But I posted it. Yes. Right, you shared yes. it, yep. and it, and it, and you got a lot of good, positive feedback. Mm-hmm. I think this will be it. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. And you just you just got it. You just got to like be brave priceless. enough to do it. There's priceless things associated it's with nothing this. dirty it's no. nothing what is it i can't tell we can't say on the podcast we'll say after the podcast Mm-mm. usually that's my my job if we say yeah, it on no, the podcast that's, that's i'm gonna thing. have to delete it right now <laughs> no can you do the beep and then yeah. we'll go yeah right <laughs> so <laughs> um, obnoxious sensor bar yeah um so okay i just wanted to mention that because yeah that's a great idea isn't that a great idea mm-hmm. i've been i've been stewing on it for a while Mm-hmm. Okay, so you chose to go to Seton Hall. I did for four for, years for communications. Yep, I I went into radio immediately, and because that was the best thing known uh, for Seton Hall, eighty nine point five FM WSOU. Was that your? Was that is it, was that how you did the call? It depended on which character I was, but yes, you played character WNBC. No, <laughs> big vomit. <laughs> Anyway, I made most of my friends there. So if anybody is listening from uh, WSU, howdy. I hope all is well I in like Radioland. Howdy, howdy is good in, in Jersey. Howdy is good in anywhere. All right. Well, we should keep doing howdy. So after school, it was, when did I graduate? 2000. Did you get your bachelor's? I got my bachelor's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I switched have like part of the way through uh, in school and started a film focus. I was very interested in film and television. What what made you switch to that? I realized during one of my internships in radio that radio was probably not the career path that it should be. Right. So I went in a more visual area. So like Jimmy said, uh, studying music kind of ruined music for him. Yeah. One of my first professors said, if you're going to study film, I hope you aren't married to loving film as a right. viewer because it completely ruined the experience of watching films for me. And I probably will never get that back. But at the same I time, I can talk to you about Aww. that if you want. At the to. same time, I can now I can I can read a film in the way that I read a book and I understand all the visual cues and I can appreciate that a little bit more because also knowing what goes into making a film, it's extremely difficult to encode visual messages that way. Yeah. Extremely difficult. You're really just appreciating it in a different way. Yes. Um, right after college, I started working as a PA in, in films and that was an thankless job, but you get to know where all the bodies are buried. Yes. Yeah. It was good. I I enjoyed PAing a lot. I was just happy to be alive at that point. And then I started grad school. How long did you PA before you started grad school? Three months. What'd you PA on? A feature film that, uh, has actually just been re-released in another film circuit what's the pitch of it I'm not sure how to explain this in less than three minutes and I'd like to keep this relatively short I was short. hoping 30 seconds oh okay uh, dysfunctional family uh, child who kills animals 
You sure it's not the trouble with Callie? It's not. <laughs> I was waiting for that, actually. Were you waiting in for the me? Back, in the back of my mind, I was like, he's going to say trouble with Callie. Did you think I was? Yeah, I really did. Oh, Rich, you, you and I, brother. I, I was on the same wavelength with you there. I think the, the universe is spoken and we are simpatico. So, all right. You so, were, I started, so I started grad school. Is there a name? Uh, it was known as Morse. No, it was known as the family Reuben. Now it's known as Morris County. It's been reshaped into a trilogy. Okay. Wow, what a long... Okay, go. Yeah, anyway. And then you went to... I went to grad school. Yeah. I continued PAing. I did uh, a lot of television stuff, some Spanish language stuff, another feature film. Yeah, I was also waiting tables at the time. So I was kind of... I was busy. It was a very busy period of my life. Where did you find time to do anything? Oh, I had... Well, I, I had my mind working. Yeah. And it's like I could nap. I think that's your fuel. I could nap on the train or I could read on the train. So I'd work and then get on the train and read my stacks of uh, of the things about American modernity and go go into the city and hang out there for a couple of hours and then come home to across the across the river to Jersey. Yeah. And uh then I finished grad school, graduated with my masters. Um What do you have a masters in? Media studies. Which okay. was a specifically, it was specifically focused in the sociology of mediating information and understanding the minds of people, American people mostly. And the. Because the, the British. Well, the signs and signifiers that are necessary to uh, mold thought. Okay. Right. New School is very famous for uh, very interesting ideas on, on the matter. Immediately after my master's, I decided to go on for more because I didn't have enough and you didn't think you had enough i didn't no i didn't have enough i really wanted more of a business track right i wanted something that i could like hang my hat on at right. some point so at the time the media uh the, the management program was being shaped into a um, media uh, masters of science mm -hmm. so i only needed a few more credits to finish that unfortunately i finished that before the program became the masters of science program and got a certificate on top of the masters. So, so you, you just missed just, a separate piece of paper. Yeah. Damn it. I know. All right. So you missed out on your piece of paper. I did. And then what? And then I worked in New Jersey for maybe a year or so, a little bit less. Was it hard for you to get a job at first? It was the middle of the great recession. So 2008, it was, yeah, it was 2010. I graduated with my master's. Uh, around 2008, I was expecting a couple of jobs to open up upon my graduation. Right, and then the market as soon, crashed. As soon as I got out, all those places went on hiring freezes or in the period of time. So there was right. really nowhere for me to, to go. <laughs> so I just kind of did my own thing. I got a handful of clients around the tri-state area and just made money. I made money. <laughs> and then... Which is good. Yeah, one day, uh, a friend of mine that I had I had made through actually through my Seton Hall connections, called me up and told me to drive out to the Poconos. And it was during Winter Storm Q. And I came out here. What's Winter Storm Q? Winter Storm Q was the first the first year, two two years ago, they started naming Winter Storms. This had never happened never before. I've never heard of that. Yeah, they started, the Weather Channel decided they were going to name Q Winter Storms. your last name? No. Yeah, it was I, Winter Storm You know, I, I don't know how to say your last name <laughs> properly. It's, so I, that's why I just said that. It's interesting because I ran into somebody that I haven't seen in like eight years today. And he, he pushes me, he pulls me aside and he says, is it okay that I'm still calling you Q? Does anybody else call you Q? It's like, 
Can we start calling you Q, like from Bond? Oh, I would love that. You do realize most of the people in my life call me Q. Why didn't you tell us this? Well, I don't... Most Lauren, of my, it's been a fucking year, and not once have you told me to call you Q. Like all the jackets that I have that have my name on it, just say Q. Your earphone has a Q on There's it There's a Q right on there. my earphone. I label all my stuff Q. I had no idea. I signed my name Q. <laughs> yeah, but your your headphone says LQ, so I wouldn't know. Like Zorro has the Z. Yeah. Lauren yeah. has the Lauren Q. Lauren has the circle slash. Some so, of, some of my cousins like, call me Q. What People that, in my family call me Q. Really? Yeah. And they have your same last name. Yeah, for some of them. All right, well, we're going to start calling you Q. All right. Okay. So then you do the, you do the job for what? Like, so... It's hard to find a job. You get a bunch of clients. Yeah. Uh, and I come out here during winter storm queue. I'm I'm told to go to a job fair out here. It's the middle of the winter storm. I get the call at like 10 o'clock in the morning. It takes me a good three hours to get out here anyway. Was this like a year ago? This was a year and a half ago almost. Okay, yeah, yeah. Or two years ago. It was two years ago. Was it two years ago? It was two years ago. Wow, okay. Yeah. Wow. Because we met about it, what, a year ago? About a year ago. Okay. Yeah. So this is a year before that. Yeah. Okay, go. Yeah, so right. I, I was told to go to a job fair and talk to these people about what I do in, in television in the in the back back rooms because they had just built this place that might need help. So right. I missed the job fair entirely because of the winter storm and the fact that I got the call about two hours before the job fair was ending. So I go there and I, and I look around. I'm like, okay, well, if, if I were them, where would I go? So I find the nearest bar... I look for people wearing the same outfits because I figure that's what they're going to look like. I find them. And I bought- then they have no clue who you are. Oh, no. Heavens, no. No. But I just drove three hours through a winter storm in the Poconos. And it's so the you're first going to experience. talk to them. I'm go- no, yeah. I'm, I'm going to drink Come a cup of coffee high water. and then talk to them because I hadn't had coffee at that point either. Like it was it was a Saturday morning. I was like, I was. So you're ready in. to kill at this point. Oh, I was pretty miserable. Yeah. And uh She's not going home without a business card. At yeah. least, yeah. So I, I, I'm sitting down. I'm drinking my coffee. I'm like, it's, or a scalp. It's kind of lunchtime, so I should order something. So I ordered like a little appetizer while I'm formulating my plan as to how I'm going to approach these strangers. I, you know, they're done for the day. They don't care who I am. So I was like, what should I do? I bought them a round of drinks. Oh my god! I did. I, I told the bartender, I'm like, listen, those people over there. Can you find out what company they work for? Bartender comes back, gives me the the, the information. The info, yeah. I'm like, okay, buy them a round of whatever they're drinking now. Put it on my card. And then somebody approaches after they receive their drinks and introduces themselves. And I'm like, well, this is this is what happened, and this is why I'm here. Will you just take my resume? <laughs> they took it, and then somebody else came over to talk to me because I, I had another cup of coffee at that point, and uh, not I, even cocktails. No, you were just on, you were on. I was drinking coffee. I yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> I was tired. I <laughs> just drove a long way. And uh, that's how I started in Northeast PA. That's what brought me out here. Because I was just like, well, I drove all this way. I'm not going back. <laughs> I, mean, to, I mean, to a possible employer. Right. That's a, that's a good sign that you're yeah. that enthusiastic. Yeah. So, so who were these guys? Do you not want to say their names? I don't. I don't. I guess it's all right. It's the uh, Rail Riders. Okay. Yeah, that's where I started in the area, and cool. I, I did their replay and did uh, some of their camera work. Oh, that's for awesome! The first season uh, at the new stadium, and then I met other people in the television media through them who invited me to stay on the fall to find a more 
more things to do with myself because I can't just do one thing at a time. So I picked up. No, you can't. I know. (laughs) I picked up a couple more jobs and moved into a bigger place than the first place that I was in, which was a one bedroom. And uh, scary. Yeah. Uh, The. (laughs) You've like PTSD. It just happened. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I ended up here and I'm pretty happy. In my place, I have a washer dryer, and it makes me appreciate life. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, but if you think of all those events, and you think of all the things that you did, and how you were raised, and yep. and and all those circumstances, I'm, I'm to get you where you are today. Do you are, are like? Can you safely say that like? I'm in a. I'm in not not like you're not settling, but you, at least you you feel welcome in your comfort. And you have a comfort level? Yes. Uh, amongst all the things I have it an experience in, I think that what I'm doing now, working as a strategist in particular, because that's what I do now, right. full-time, which is very nice. And After I you love, left me. I, le- I didn't leave you. You left me. I still come here, though. I know. Mark was kind <laughs> enough to, to hire me uh, last year after we worked on a project together. After we had... After, after we... Uh, <laughs> And we wait, wait, we formed I'm a great. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. What was the book Apocalypse Now is based on? Into the Jungle or the Heart of Darkness? Heart of Darkness. Heart darkness. After the Heart of Darkness experience that we had, <laughs> where we found Colonel Kurtz. Um, after that, I mean, I saw, I saw Lauren. Like, I was in a real weird. Do you mind if I go off on a tangent? That's fine. I was in a real weird place. Um, personally and professionally and you know i kind of welcomed the opportunity to 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 work on a project and and lauren happened to be working on the project and i never met lauren and when she she got in my car the first time and literally she hops in the back seat and there must be four <laughs> dozen dunkin don't empty dunkin donut cups it was kind of gross yeah because i because i still live like a pa in la where it's just like i'm done with this i'm gonna throw it in the back seat and get it later and um, from that moment on, you know, because I thought I thought Lauren was just like this, this, this super like alpha. And I really don't get along with like alpha females. If that makes sense. And it's not to down it like like I, I, I love and appreciate strong individuals, but I also love and appreciate strong individuals who can kind of come down to my level. <laughs> Where it's just like we can have a conversation about nothing, you know what right. I mean, and still have a and still have a good time. It's not all about like we have this to do, we have that to do, we have this. You know, you know, Lauren was still able to say a joke, and and it, and it resonated a lot with me. And she, um, and she was willing, um, I she and she was willing to compromise. Like to me, that's incredibly important. Mm. And Lauren was willing to compromise. And then after that situation, there was there, you know, there was some sort of raw deal involved with Lauren and I and I hated it. And I thought Lauren was incredible. And so I I hired her not because she needed a job. I hired her because I didn't want her to leave. Oh, because I would have <laughs> I actually would have left at that point. Yeah. I really would have. Uh, mm-hmm. I was pretty much I didn't have very many reasons to stay on in particular Mm. but having made friends it was just like i kind of i kind of want to stay i kind of want to go because all my family's in new york and new jersey right you know i still have and you go back and forth sometimes i do i do i think every weekend you go either either yeah either 
people come up to visit me or I go back home. It's right. it's how it, it rolls out on the weekends. But uh, you you were probably the pivotal reason why I didn't leave last summer. I did it for totally selfish reasons. It's fine. I'm still here. You know, and I'm happy that we still have a rapport, even though you left me. I didn't leave you. You left me. Well, kind of, but <laughs> if it makes but you, you, but you know what you, but, but, but when, but when that opportunity arose, that was a great opportunity. Yeah. And I, and there was absolutely no way that I would be the guy who'd be like, you know, I'm selfish to a point, but I'm not going to be that selfish. I just, I just wanted, you know, like everybody in this podcast, I want everybody to be happy. And I am happy. Yeah. I love everything about this job. I know. I'm sorry. And I'm happy and I'm happy that you do because we still get to work together and we still get it to do nice. cool things and we still get to, you know, and then you, you help me when I'm having my breakdowns and stuff like that. And It's fine. And yeah. then if, if everything goes to plan, my five-year plan and I open up my... We're all going to New Zealand. No, no. But probably shoot my, another no. Lord of the Rings? Or? No, but, no, 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 no. That was, that was like my, you know how like you set goals, like yeah. bucket list shit? Mm -hmm. When the first Lord of the Rings came out, I was like, no, no, actually when I graduated film school, I was like, all right, in five years, I'm going to go to New Zealand. Oh. I just want to see like Helm's Deep and you right. know, Rohan and all that shit. So it's 10 Kill years. Kill some orcs. It's nine years later. <laughs> I just want to have a goat in five years. And, and there's, it's nine years later and they're still making them. So. Which is, which is. So there you go. No, they're making hobbitses. Yeah, yes. there's too many hobbits. Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy to me, the Hobbit was like this big. The book, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, the book. I don't understand. Well, it's like it's like Mel Brooks said in Spaceballs. Spaceballs too, the search for more money. You know, so I, but that was that was my goal, and I want to go to Hawaii just to see where they shot Lost. <laughs> That's like where that's I a good live. goal. No, but next year we're going to Portugal to find chocolate. Oh, right. I'm down. We just have to make enough money to do it. Yeah. And I have to yeah. get a passport. Because <laughs> I was just looking. I have to officiate a wedding at the end of May in, in, in L.A. And I was just looking up ticket prices. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's so random that you can do that. That I can officiate a wedding? Yeah. It'll be my second in a year. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, though, because like the wedding I have to. It's for, it's for my it's for one of my best friends in, in L.A. And um him and his fiance um are like really big in like they're not like big as in like oh they're Tom Cruise big but like they work on Tom Cruise movies with Tom Cruise you know what i mean and Christopher McQuarrie who i think is one of the best directors out there but they're they're like they're over in England right now shooting Mission Impossible 5 so now there's like a lot of fear for me to like i have to go speak in front of a group that I would love to just have like them accept me. If that makes any like crazy sense. And then at the same time, I get the privilege of, of, of marrying. That might not be the right word. Yeah. Of, it is. of officiating the marriage of one of my best friends, which is awesome. Now, uh, will you come back with great stories from this? I don't, it, it's, I don't know. Because it, it, I'm assuming my, there's going to be some cool people probably at this thing. Yeah, you know, but I don't want to treat it like, uh, you know, if I could. Yeah, I don't know. I might. I might not. I think you're going to have be, one of those things where I'm like, that's what you have to say is that you're not going to be there as a spectator. Right. You, you're, you have to be. Right? That I'm not right. going to be there as a spectator. Yeah. You no, have to I'm say, oh, well, I'm not going to be there to check it out. But yeah, no, I, 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 
I'm not. You know, but if somebody I, I, famous walks by, you're going to be all about it, right? Oh, I may come back with the I threw up on Tom Cruise's shoes story because, yeah. you know, I think he's amazing. Yeah. As 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 a I love Tom Cruise. I got to use the same toilet as Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be OK with that. I stood next to him at the urinal. Or yeah. no, you know, I, looked, I'd be, I, I gazed you know, it'd be a little too better. long. I looked. Tom down Cruise at had to use the toilet after me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Take that, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Tom, you may want to spray. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's weird how like everything like that's the danger zone in there. Yeah, it is. It really is. I, I paved the highway <laughs> to the danger zone for you, Tom. <laughs> What did you pave your highway with? How did I get to where I am? What made you the man you are today? Oh. Um, I kind of didn't have a plan that we'd talk about me. Oh. But I will. I didn't have a plan to talk about myself either until you walked in my office today. But I did. You thought I was kidding, didn't you? Yeah. So, yeah. so you knew that we were going to talk about everyone, but then you didn't think we were going to get to you? Like no, we I just, just going to skip just, you over you? I just think there's enough to know about me but I'll, I'll i'll do it um i'll try to keep it short please ask me questions <laughs> where were you born i was born i was born at cmc hospital in scranton so was i yeah. yeah are you an only child i am not i have a i have a uh, sister who just turned 30 this week she's not happy about it was your upbringing positive um and I'm not, and I'm not pausing on that to say that it was it was not positive. I mean, we, my, uh, I grew up in Greenridge until I was about nine or ten. I believe I was I believe I was ten. Um, and then my my family decided to build a house in Clark Summit, so we lived for two years in Westside. Um, and it was a good. My sister and I are about five years apart, four and a half years. She was born on Super Bowl Sunday, which my dad did not like. Um. They were literally going from the delivery room to the TV to the delivery room to the TV. I remember, I, I'll never forget that day. I was four and a half years old, I remember it. Um, and I was very upset that when my sister was born, she wasn't black. <laughs> that's <laughs> why, all, that's why all are you I remember upset from, by that. Because there used to be this TV show at Robert Guillaume called Benson. If It's on IMDb. And I fell in love at a young age with this TV show called Benson. So you wanted your younger sister. <laughs> yeah, my mom tells a story that I started crying because she wasn't, she didn't, she, she, she didn't because look she like Robert Guillaume. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Um, so um, I was always fascinated with um, cameras and not fascinated to the point where I, you know, I picked it up as a hobby or whatever. Like my dad, my dad has a hobby of race car driving um, film to me my dad and this is not this is this this is not to say that my dad wasn't around he was around he was a good dad but but he worked a lot um because he ran his own business so it was very easy for him to put in you know 12 13 hour days and then um his only and his job's stressful he's in he's in construction so he, he does uh, uh steel fabrication and erection um yes jimmy i said erection um <laughs> <laughs> so um so i i kind of um so i i'd spend the nights um late at night my mom uh was a stay-at-home mom and we'd stay up and watch movies on hbo all we had was hbo 
So we'd watch movies on HBO till like two, three o'clock in the morning. And um, I just fell in love with that idea. And so they had a first camcorder that they had was a Betamax, huge Betamax. And I would do like all these like little, they weren't even films. They didn't have structure, narrative, anything. They were just like these weird, like I'm, I was like, all right, I'm going to make my sister, like my sister's holding. And she was like four. So she'd be holding something in her hand and then I'd cut the camera and I'd be like, don't move. And then I'd hit re- and I'd take the thing out of her hand and I'd hit record and now it's gone and it's a magic trick. Um, so I guess I liked kind of creating magic ever since then. But the true moment that I remember that I really was fascinated with film was um, on Saturday nights, HBO would have the, the movie night. So whatever movie would premiere, it would premiere that Saturday night at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. And Revenge of the Nerds was on. And um, my parents would, my, my, like my mom would invite like her brothers over and whatever. And like we'd, they'd sit around and like we'd watch a movie. And and Revenge of the Nerds, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it, it, it it's adult. Um, there's F-bombs, there's whatever. And, and somebody dropped an F-bomb. I repeated an F-bomb and my mother went, got furious and kicked me out of the basement and I could no longer watch the film. And I, I found that strange that there was a lot of power in that just to, you know, hear somebody say something, repeat it. Like, why is it okay for me to watch it? But it's not okay for me to say it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense to you, Lauren? Yes. But why did you have to repeat it? I was, I was like six or seven. Hmm. I didn't know the difference. It was a word Hmm. I never heard before. Like if somebody goes tchotchkes or Lucy cigarettes, I'm like, what's a Lucy cigarette? You know what I mean? Sundries. I got stuck on sundries when I learned about that word. I still don't know what that means. It's like miscellaneous stuff that you would buy in a sundries store, like sunglasses and lotion. Like five below, right? They sell sundries. Like, or like Ron John. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. More no, like. that's a surf shop. More but like. That has sunglasses and lotion. Like big lots. No, not like big lots. They got a little bit of everything in there. They definitely do have a little bit of everything in there. Um, mostly useless things. Mostly things that it's like, I don't need that. So um, how did how did you get here? How did I get here? Mm-hmm. Um, I I, uh, I hated school. Um, I didn't like uh, I didn't like studying. I didn't like homework. I didn't like. I thought it was enough that they forced me to go there eight hours a day. To have me do three hours more work or worth of work every night, I found unnecessary. <laughs> so um, I wasn't exactly the the best student. I uh, my high school grad nobody knew I was going to graduate until two days before my graduation of high school because I had a uh, I had a sixty four point six and they rounded it up. And at Abington, what graduating was was a sixty five. So that's how I graduated. Um, Ironically, though, out of all my classes of all my years and all my grades, um, geometry, I got a 99.9 in without studying once. That just kind of. So, so I, you just never went and developed that, though. So you must have just had a really crappy teacher. Do you remember the Pythagorean <laughs> theorem? No, I got Jimmy. I swear to God, it was like one of those things where like I got my first hundred in that class. Mm-hmm. And then nine months later, I was still getting hundreds. That's nuts. And I didn't understand <laughs> why. And there was one test where I got, um, it was nine out of 10 
and I got nine out of the. It, it was a ten que- test, ten, ten question test. So you and got I got a nine. nine out of ten on one, which got me down to a ninety nine point nine. Which I was like, and I was not an overachiever. I was not like I was the guy who, like, um, uh, we had a we had a we had a class called. Um, Oh my God, it was in ninth grade. My teacher, Mr. Cook, I'll never forget Mr. Cook. Mr. Cook changed my life, but it was, it was basically about, it, it was, it was history, but it wasn't history. It was more like culture. It was more like what's going on mm-hmm. today. Civics. So, yeah. It's so. kind of like civics. Like he was really big into networking. He was really big into like find a pen pal, somebody from a different mm-hmm. country, write them a letter, you know, which I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had, um, there was a paper due on uh, he gave us an assignment and it was, it was a, a there was a book it's, and, and there's a, there's a series of books, but this book was the, the one he wanted in particular was a day in the life of China. They have them for everybody, like a day in the life of Russia, a day in the life of Spain, a day in the life of Italy. And it's basically like photographers go around that whole day and just take pictures and then they compile them. And that's just that one day, a day in the life of North Korea, the whole thing's blank. It's dark. It's really dark. <laughs> And looks staged. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everything's photoshopped. So the day before, um, or the actually the period before the paper was due, and I still haven't hadn't done it, I opened up the book. I went to the library at 40 minutes. I opened up a book and I found this photo, and it was it was the it was the photo of a a a, a, a misty lake with a tree in the foreground. And I somehow wrote this paper where it was like the tree represents today and the possibilities and 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 the fog in the background is is history and it gets it gets it gets less visible the farther away you get from it. And I wrote like this this big paper in like forty minutes and I handed it in, completely expecting to get like an F of like you don't get this assignment whatsoever. And uh, the teacher called my mother. <laughs> So when, by the time I got home from school, my mother's like, Mr. Cook called me. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, why did he call you? And she's, she said, uh, she goes, well, he called. And he wanted to talk to me. And I'm like, and I'm literally like Rolodexing through my head. Like, what did I do that day? Did I get in trouble? Did I do something wrong? Like, was there drugs? Was there, <laughs> you know what I mean? And did I skip school? Did I skip his class? And he wrote her to tell her that um, it was one of the best papers he's ever read. Wow. So I said to my mom, because I do not know how to tell a lie. I said, I wrote that the 40 minutes before the class. <laughs> and she's like, that seems like something you would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that paper kind of brought me up into that class. And then I got fascinated with history and I got fascinated with stories and I got fascinated with um, just how people interact. Like I took like in high school, I, I had the opportunity to take like sociology and psychology classes because I want to understand how people work. What's their motivation? Why would they do this? Why would a certain, you know, group of people like, why would the Nazis, you know, why would the German people agree with Hitler? You know what I mean? Like that's all sociology that has to do with, you know, how do you. Group so, thinking. Yeah. And it, and it kind of fascinated me on like, you know, just how things happen. So I, and then I, and then I took a Russian studies class, which made me fascinated with, you know, Nicholas and Alexandra and 
all that stuff. Watched the movie probably 10 times. History classes I did very well in because they engaged me. They were interesting. They were real people. They were real stories. It wasn't like, you know, Chaucer. You know, I didn't understand. I don't. I didn't like English. I didn't like writing poetry. I didn't like. I, I liked. No, but there's there's a comma there. I liked doing all that stuff on my time on my terms. Okay. You know what I mean. So somewhere at my parents' house is is, you know, leaf, you know, books and books, tablets and tablets of just shit that I wrote. Um, I'd write lyrics, I'd write poems, I'd write, I, I remember my first short story I ever wrote was um, in DOS, mm-hmm. and it was uh, uh, Mario Brothers fan fiction. <laughs> Be- before that was really a, a thing on the internet, like this yeah, is a I long wrote, time Yeah, before. like this is before Windows, Right. this was on DOS. That's awesome. Um, that was like the first thing I wrote, I was really excited So you just about. wrote it like straight out on the C prompt? Yes. No, 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 no. Actually, DOS had like almost like a, a word processor thing that you can connect to if you knew like the right things. Oh, to right, write. right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I wrote, I wrote that. It wasn't like everybody has sex because that's all fan fiction is now. No, 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 no. It was like seriously. It was like all the characters. There was okay, an adventure. good. Sure, there was awesome. all this stuff. Okay. It wasn't like you know. That's kind of what Fifty it Shades of yeah. Mario Brothers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fifty um, Shades of Fireflower. So, so, um, um, 50 shades of Bowser. So, but, but in the interim, I took, um, I took photography classes. So anytime there there was a photography class open at school, I would take it. And then, um, graduated high school. I, I got, I actually got suspended one day and, um, uh, it was about like 11th or 12th grade. I got suspended. I don't, I, I, I got caught skipping school and I got mm. caught. My, my, my last two classes were like, nobody cared. You know, they were like throwaway classes. It was like a study hall and yeah. like gym. And that's like this, the classes I skipped out on mm. and I got caught. So I got, I got suspended, but the guy who, um, Oh my God, I forget his name now, but the guy who, who was kind of like the Sergeant slaughter of discipline at Abington was the guy who would, Basically, I don't know if the word's proctor, but he would be the the overseer of the in-school suspensions. <laughs> so I got an in-school suspension. I wasn't out, out of school. I had to just sit, spend all day in this classroom. <clears throat> and it was really cool because we, you know, we got to talking and stuff. And he said that um, he thinks it's kind of foolish for, for kids to immediately go to college right after high school. He goes, I think you need to take like a year off, you know, kind of figure out, figure out certain things that you want to do. And I thought that that made a lot of sense because I had no ambition to immediately jump back into academics. Um, so I took six years off. It was actually five. So um, so long story short, um, in the interim, I joined a band. I was doing the band thing. We weren't making any money. I, did, I worked in, in steel construction uh, for my father. He was gracious enough to allow me to keep a job. I constantly did things that, you know, any other person would be terminated for. Your father's a wonderful man. He really is. You know, I, I have to give credit to my, to my dad, who I, I think is very saintly. Um, my mother's very saintly, but she has a, a very a big sword. Um, you know, and I and I think Jimmy's dad and, and and mom are very incredible in supporting people. But um, my mother is one of the only people. There's two people in the world that have ever knocked me out. My mother's one of them. Um, she's a West Sider. Rich knows how it goes. 
I think for for any that of us, doesn't you have to me. have a supporting family to be in any kind of creative environment. Well, I mean, you, I you mean, have the, you, you have they, the possibility they, of falling the, on your face anytime. They right. they they were supportive, and 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 I didn't grow up. I think I grew up. I I, I think it's safe to say that I grew up in an upper middle class family. You know, we weren't like wealthy, where it was like I had a trust fund, but I never had to worry about food or clothing or like my dad is just just incredibly like giving you know what i mean like he he's you know if there's a want like he gets it for you like sometimes in retrospect it'd be like dad it would have been nice if like sometimes you just said no you know what i mean it might have taught me more valuable life lessons instead of me having to get kicked in the nuts to figure them out um so my mom was a big influence on me and then you know i got in a band and and basically what i wanted to do for for a period of time was just drink and party and um god bless my parents for putting up with it um i was in a band we played maybe every other weekend and it was just like a shit show so it was always just like booze and you know whatever so i, I it in the in the midst of the band thing right around 2003 i met this i met a girl and it was one of the first times like the band ever paid off for getting a chick <laughs> i never liked i never like had make out that was never like hey man you want to go i'm the singer let's you know what i mean like it never happened it was always like the other guys would get it i felt i felt a little like john popper <laughs> you know what i mean like i felt like you know i was the ugly duckling whatever but i was entertaining i was funny like the, the thing that i had going for me was like at least i was like a little bit humorous and looked at life in weird ways um, so I met this girl, um, and I don't, you know, I, she was, she was influential on me to move on, not due to the fact that, you know, it was like one of those things where it was, it was like, it was like true love princess bride kind of thing. Um, as you wish it was, it was more of like when, like when we first dating, she goes, you, you have, you, you have two things that I despise in a human being or as character traits. And I'm like, well, what's that? And she's like, well, you're lazy and you have no work ethic. Oh, this is over pancakes, man. You know, so it was a big kick in the nuts. But we stayed together. She stayed with me. Um, and it was crazy. Um, and then uh, she broke up with me. Which is fine. But the way she did it, I, I, I didn't like. But I was so, I don't know if it was love or it was one of those things where it was like, um, fuck you i'll show you so i uh i went to film school because she knew that that's what i always wanted to do mm -hmm. like she, this is the girl who like breaks up to me to date somebody else but still gets me like a screenwriting program for christmas oh that's really nice you know what i mean yeah. so it was very kind of her and then you know i kind of like f for me making the decision to being at film school was about a week because I said to my old man, I said, I said, I think it's time. Like, I got to go do something. So I went to, um, I was supposed to go to NYFA, which is a film school in New York. And then 9-11 happened. And that's why three years went by before I decided to go to school. Because I'm like scared shitless. And then I met this girl and then blah, blah, blah. Um, so I went to, I went to, I went to Full Sail in uh, Orlando, Florida. I got my bachelor's in two years. I met some of my best friends. But I know that... Um, I finally knew that when I was there, I'm like, this makes sense. I'm supposed to be here. 
you know, I'm supposed to be doing stuff like this. I'm supposed to be, and it was fun, man. I like everything that we did. Like it was fun. You created shit and you found out new ways to do things and it was great. And it's how to tell a story. And it was not like, it's not a school of theory. It's a tech school, you know? So you either had it or you didn't, you could either write, you could direct, you know, you either had it in you or you didn't. And you could tell the people who had it in them and who didn't have it in them. Um, I was fortunate enough to direct everything that we did across every medium that there was. And I don't know if I got that because I was good or if I got that because I was, I was, I played the game. You know what I mean? Way, I think all, that, all my that's all my all. professors liked me, so I was kind of like, I want to do that, and they're like, okay. Um, like we'd go, we were adults, so we like we even our professors we'd go out and hang out with and and drink and hang out with and like, what do you want to do? And um, so then I got I got I got out of there, and uh, I graduated. They didn't they don't give you a, a number. You just kind of like get you're like you made it. Your piece of paper. Oh. Um, and then, uh, my two buddies had already moved to LA and I was really dreading that I didn't want to go to LA. Um, so I was working for this small documentary in Orlando in the, in the, in the marketing and sales side of it. Like the movie was already done. It was about, it was about like a 40 minute documentary. It ended up being on HBO as one of those HBO life stories things. It was about this kid who, uh, uh, there was a genetic disorder and he eventually became blind, but he learned how to play guitar. So it was, it was all about like him finding hope in a guitar, which kind of played back to me. I love photography and I love music. So I think the blending of those was film. Mm. Um, so then I decided to take a trip to LA just to visit my friends. I haven't seen them in like a year, which is like, I don't know, like 2005 maybe. And uh, at the time, my buddy worked on a, a TV show called Scrubs. And Scrubs was shot uh, at an abandoned hospital called the North Hollywood Hospital. It's a real hospital. It wasn't really a set. And we went up on the roof to smoke. And I remember the roof from episodes. And I kind of looked around and I looked at them because they were on my ass the whole time. They're like, you got to move to L.A. You got to move to L.A. And I'm like, nah. And I was on the roof smoking a cigarette. And I looked at them and I'm like, I'll be here in two weeks. And then I moved to L.A. And um, within four days, I had a job on the number one television show on TV, which at that time was season one of Heroes. So I started working on Heroes. What was that like? Uh, Especially to just come in like that. Heroes? Yeah. Or just coming into L.A. being like... Well, coming in L.A. and that being the first gig that you get. Um... It's weird because there's like there's like this 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 magic and this mystery behind film and television, and then when you when you're kind of like in the sh- in the shit of it, it's really it, it it it's really like construction, which is good that I came from a background of that. The problem the problem with film and trying to use construction as a Mad Lib is is that it, it, in real construction, somebody has an ego or somebody is you know sassy, the other construction workers will cut them down to size. Right, you can't. You don't have that option. Right, like on like on heroes, like it had to be, and nobody taught me how to PA. Like that was the one thing in film school that they didn't teach you. In film school, they they you know if you were the PA, you were like there's it was like the lowest of the low. If there was a cast system, it was PA is the worst. Then I get to LA and I'm like, oh my god, I wish there was a goddamn class on PAing. Mm. Um, so I really had to learn by fire, and I had to, you know. 
every time I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm going to the bathroom, calling my buddies going, I'm like, what's a side? What's a day out of days? What's a line? <laughs> what's a one line sheet? What's, you know, whatever. So they would, it's explain. a good way to learn though. Yeah. And I, and, and they were, and they were great and they were helpful. And I stayed on, uh, heroes for about a month. And then I got picked up on a TV show called drive, which had Nathan Fillion in it and oh, Emma okay. stone. And, um, lasted about four episodes and it only lasted about four episodes because it was so expensive to make and then i went back to heroes and then i went to um uh i went to work on my first film which is a movie called por vida which was about uh inner city latino uh girl gangs Hmm. totally within my wheelhouse oh yeah um lots of experience there i was uh, i was the only uh I was the only, the, my nickname was Wero, which goes to show you uh, how diverse that crew was. <laughs> um, and then I went from there and worked on a movie for DreamWorks called Hotel for Dogs um, with Emma Roberts. And uh, then I went to, uh, I worked on Scrubs for a little bit and then, then, I, then I worked on the Caveman pilot. There was a, there was a Geico Caveman Oh, I, show. Remember, I remember hearing about that. I worked on that. And then um, uh, Sons of Anarchy came up. And I spent two seasons on Sons of Anarchy. So that was a big one for you. Sons of Anarchy? Yeah. Well, no one knew it was big. Not at the time. Not at the time, no. But looking they, back on it. Oh, looking back on it. Yeah, it was huge. Mm. Um, and... Uh, you know, the weird thing about like, like you, you do like live this like gypsy life, but you know, on, on Sons of Anarchy, I figured, um, I'm not going to just PA. There was a lot of freedom on Sons of Anarchy. I remember, I remember the first week that I was there, the, the person who hired me, I looked at her and I said, I really don't do much here. You know, like I kind of feel bad, you know, so I don't think you need me. And she goes, uh, she goes, she goes, you're right. I think Fox is going to go out of business because you're hired. <laughs> and I went, I'm like, I don't know what that, I don't know what that means. She's like, why don't you just shut up and be happy you have a job? And I'm like, all right, cool. And so, um, I was on the night crew. I'm not an, I'm not a morning person. So like if, if, if crew call was at 7am, they'd have a PA come in at 7am and then they would have a PA or no, they would have a PA come in at 6am and then they would, have a, they would, they would have a PA come in at seven. And then they would have a PA come in an hour after call, which would be me. So I'd be there doing all the night work, everything. But after like five o'clock, like nothing happened. Mm. So I'd go to set and I'd hang out on set and I'd talk to the actors and I'd talk to the directors at the time and the producers. And like, I was just like, I'm soaking up like all this information. Like what, what does it take? Like, what's this like? Have you ever had an opportunity? Have you ever had an experience like this? Who was the worst person to work with? How'd you deal with them? Who is the best person to work with? You know, how do you balance the psychology of dealing with all these creative people? Because they're all nuts. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so Kevin Kevin Corcoran uh, was one of the producers on Sons of Anarchy. And he was in, uh, he was the, the youngest boy on Swiss Family Robinson. Hmm. And he was one of the original Mouseketeers. There's some trivia for you. Yeah. He was an amazing man. Uh, he... So at like five o'clock, like LA shuts down. Like you can't get, 
you're not getting stuff for Panavision. You're not getting stuff from Location Sound. You're not getting, you know, basically what's open is like staples and like that's it. So nothing really needs to get done. Like you don't have to make any runs. You don't have to drop off scripts. You don't have to do. So I'd hang out till like midnight, you know, and we'd talk and I'd watch, I'd watch movies. I'd watch making ofs. I'd hang out with the crew. I'd hang out with the cast. And then I started doing behind the scenes videos for them. Um, I was taking photos, uh, the showrunner at the time, uh, who was still the showrunner, the creator of the show is a guy by the name of Kurt Sutter. Um, I was doing his behind the scenes photos that he would upload to his blog and stuff. Like he was, he was, he was very social media savvy. Like he was into it. Um, never got a photo credit, (laughs) but, um, yeah, but after two years I was, I was, I was spent, man. And uh, now was was that the work or was that just the environment and the people that that made you spent? Um, I think and it was weird because everything started to become digital mm. and like Sons of Anarchy shot on digital cameras. And I, you know, I, I would just read the trades and stuff. And, you know, most a lot of like TV shows were getting shot in Colombia and, and Eastern Europe. And and I was kind of like, you don't have to be in in Hollywood to be Hollywood. And then somebody back here, uh, said to me, um, stop making other people's dreams come true. Start making yours. And that really resonated with me, you know, a lot. So I came back here and it ended up being worse. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I came back here and I ended up working for uh, a company in Wilkesbury and, um, it just didn't go well. And, uh, it was weird because it was it was like getting defeated twice mm. in like a year. It was like L.A. defeated me. And now I came back home where it was supposed to be like this is supposed to make sense. Like this is supposed to be at least easier. Right. And it was it was it was just so much harder. Um, and that's when the booze and all that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when it hit its its peak. And um, I uh, I decided to incorporate which it you know in a haze of of you know addiction is a great idea really well at the time you know <laughs> if you ever out at a bar and people are like we should go you know light bags of poo on people's front yard and ring the doorbell and blah 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 you know you were game for anything and it all sounded like a good idea and my mother you know was was very like this is dumb you're a loser um, she's real tough love. I love her to death. I don't regret one thing she says to me because it all, it, it all comes from a place of caring. Um, so, um, so I incorporated August 1st, 2010 and I got sober August 8th because August 7th I went out and got shit ripped roaring hammered and then don't remember coming home and drinking the half a handle of vodka <laughs> mark got me the drunkest i ever was in my life yeah you're the welcome, second brother. time i met him yeah <laughs> oh you're the bush guy <laughs> come on man i just thought you were adorable and it was he, like he came out to see maybe someday it was at tanks it was yeah. it was uh what was it, it was fat tuesday yeah or fat tuesday yep mm-hmm. and i had work the next day so Jimmy might have had 14 shots of Jack Daniels that night. Um, I ate a couple peanut butter jelly sandwiches in the morning, a coffee, and anything else. That yeah, like was very a, like, potent that I could. 
knowing now what Jimmy's eating habits are, I feel like really bad about what I did. <laughs> it was me, you, and Bonomo, man. Like, uh, just we, a stomach of popcorn. <laughs> yeah. And Jimmy's just like, no matter what happens, there's a smile there. You know what I mean? He, you just rolled with it, man. Yeah, Jimmy, want another shot? And he's like, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we, we got a shot on the way to getting a shot because the girls were yeah, walking around. Yeah, because the girl was walking you, by. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Three SoCo and, and I and I had and, and the thing was is like I I spent <laughs> I had like all like all the money I accrued in L.A. because you get you do get paid well in L.A. but the cost of living is so high that like it's 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 pittance. But like I made all that money, I didn't have to pay rent for the next month, so I saved like all that money, and I was getting you know a little bit of money from the other place I was working at. And and literally like I was I was going out every night and like that coffer of money was just like like dwindling. It was like Scrooge McDuck and somebody's somebody drilled a hole at the bottom of his bank and you can just see like the gold just go down. So I was just spending my, like I'd go to nickel nickel draft nights and walk out with like a hundred and twenty dollar tab. Like how the hell does that happen? Um so I got I got sober. Um I did shoot a lot of stuff for um, the other company that I worked for when I came here, but I, I, I had this thing where I'm like, I don't want to use any of that. So it took me about uh, from August to 2580 didn't get their per- first paycheck till March of 2011. Wow. And it was for $500. <laughs> and I thought we made it. Um, I was in my, my dad's garage. That's where I had a computer and a hard drive. <laughs> and um, And now I'm here. And my whole goal was to get into to features. You know, I love like the commercial work, like it pays the bills. You know, it, it's fun. It's challenging um, features I wanted to do and I wanted to do my own. Um, and, I'm, and I'm hoping that that's still a possibility. But uh, I, I got through fate and chance. I got hooked up with 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 a with a, a, a group of guys who just make movies, man. And they're really cool and they're really understanding and it's not the Hollywood that I know. And, um, I feel incredibly fortunate and that's why, uh, and that might be kind of part of why I've been a bummer is because especially dealing with the subject matter of the film that, uh, I'm cutting right now. I never saw myself as an editor. Mm. You know what I mean? I never saw myself as a cinematographer and I kind of don't really see myself as a direct. Like I don't know where I fit in because I don't think that I have like a skill, like 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 a really good skill. You know what I mean? It's like Peekaboo Street could be like a, a good artist, but she's a great skier. <laughs> is Peekaboo Street soccer or is she skiing? She skis. Okay, good. Yep. So I got that right. Yep. Um. So I just don't know like where I fit in. Okay. You so know? you're still you're still in that that as which is which is fine. Yeah. I mean, it's like every day, like. The last like three weeks have been, you know, 90 hour weeks. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just, you know, and I, and I, and part of me is like, I couldn't be happier. And the other part of me is like, man, I just really want to fucking nap. I would like, like it if you could nap. I don't know how, Lauren. I know. It bothers I know how to me. sleep. I don't know how to nap. A nap to me is wasted moments. <laughs> I see a lot of your father in you. You have, you have a really good work ethic. I don't. Despite despite I what you say I about do. yourself, you work constantly. Yeah, I'm here. I don't know what I accomplish. Like that at the end of the day, like there's so much stuff like 
that I feel like I'm not doing, like that I'm neglecting. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but you whittle away at a lot of work. Well, you got to look at it this way. In, in the, the few years that I've known you, I, I met you after you had gotten sober. Um, this was, you, you know. I'm, you met me on a lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, essentially, that's how we met. Well, uh, I I was a I was a reporter at the time in Scranton, and uh, I found found this video, and it was getting passed around. And uh, one of the things that we try to do at the paper is is we were always looking for stories that were different and stuff that wasn't usually reported in other papers and stuff, so we could find something new to talk about. And I'd seen this video going around, and it was uh, these these guys uh, graffitiing all over Scranton, essentially. Like, and it looked really legit. Like, it looked really real that they were doing this. Like, the the special effects were really good. Now, uh, it was so good actually that somebody like somebody called the cops and reported this. And yeah, thought, somebody like, called somebody called the state police on us. Yeah. yeah, and actually, like, they watched this video, and you watch you watch to the end, and, and what it was is is it was a promotion for a uh, auction. Uh, for first friday it was an uh, the, art auction it was the it, art auction yeah yeah um uh, you know the first fridays in scranton the art walk um they do an auction to raise money for it and and uh you know kind of keep the the program going and uh, i thought this was just really creative different way to do that and uh i just thought it was really like the 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 quality of it was was above anything i had seen come out of the area before <laughs> i'm, I'm totally honest uh, it's it was just that it wasn't something that I would expect that was made right here. So I was like, this is really cool. So I had to track down like, okay, who is this guy? Like, cause they didn't put their name on it or, you know, most of the videos and things they, you know, slap a link or, or they have a thing at the end that says brought to you by this person or made by this person. We he didn't- sent, we sent this real cryptic email. Like, like, you know, anonymous, right? Yeah. We sent it almost like that, like in the verse of, how anonymous would send something where it's like yeah. art is important. We need to not neglect it. You know what I mean? It was like this real, like, Oh my, it was, it, it was egotistical and it was, but that was the intention. Like when we wrote it, it was supposed to be like, we wrote it to almost be like this manuscript of like, you need to pay attention to us and, and to create a buzz, like just to get like people interested in what right. it was. Yep. And, and, you know, as, as a reporter, you know, I, I, as an artist, I understood the art end of it. Like, okay, I get what you're doing here. And as a reporter, I'm like, yeah, cut the shit. Uh, so who are you? Where are you? Where yeah, can Rich, we meet? Rich called us and he was like, well, who made this? And I'm like, I don't know. We just kind of, we, we're, we're, uh, we're extensions of, of what they were like. We're allowed to speak for them, but we're not allowed to like yeah. disclose who it, it was. Is. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Actually. I yeah. was like, all right, now, now, now you got me more interested. Now we're going to keep going. Cause that to me <laughs> then, uh, you know, I was very much as a reporter, uh, I tried to add storytelling elements to what I was doing. So I didn't just try to do, okay, you know, here are the facts. I, I wanted to kind of paint a picture, so I'm like, "All right, I'm digging what you're 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 doing because that's going to help me paint the picture more for readers. It's going to make it more hoping, mysterious, more interesting." I was hoping upon hope that you, that your your article was going to say, "And these pompous douchebags <laughs> who think that they're all that in a bag of shit." That's not that's not my place to say. And that's not what. You, but that's not what you yeah. did. Like you painted it in a really nice light. And the thing is, is that we 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 graffiti special affected a lot of landmarks. Yeah. It was like all we even, we even went so far as like we built a 12 foot by uh, eight foot wide green screen wall to make it look like we were repelling down the times building 
and we graffitied the entire side of the Times building. Like I had to figure out like how to do all like these green screen special effects shots, which took a while. And we sent it to the Times. Like we linked it. We sent like that the 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 memorandum and and all that shit. Nothing. And which is which is like again we you did know, it specifically to the Times. The Times would be like, yeah. So they just would have them walk the outside and be like, is there a is there a zipper on the side of our building because we painted a zipper? Hmm. And yeah. we and it said, hey, your flies down. <laughs> Why? Oh no! Because on the side of the Times building, there's like a zipper that yeah, makes it looks like the inside of the Times building. Yeah, they they have a, a uh, mural. They have a mural on the yeah. side of their building. So we wrote like, like a, "Hey, your yeah. flies down," and and like from a distance, it looks like we're hanging there. And like we we did the lighting right. Like we had to calculate the angle of view and how we would shoot the green screen stuff to make it look like we were up there. See, now, like, now, there's a lot of shit that went into now, it. Now you understand why I had to go my own way with with media because uh to me you're 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 not you're you're feeding them you're not even feeding them the story you're slapping them with it yeah. you know because if i was a times reporter and i saw that i'm like all right they're they, they put us even in, in their video we have to do something on this that's a st- you know even just link the damn thing and to get no reaction i'm like that's crazy because to Nothing. me we were heartbroken I, See, oh. yeah. See, I saw the oh, video yeah. and I was like, "Oh, we got to do something on like this." So oh, we did. We had we had Jimmy recorded the song. Yeah, remember that, Jim? Yeah, we did paint my masterpiece by the band. Right? Yeah, we, we re-recorded the entire fucking song. Right? Yeah, that was like that was also one of the first times I worked with John. Yeah, John Smith was a friend yeah. of mine, and I said to John, "I'm like, John, like you got to sing this song. Like you're the only guy I know that can that that can do this song justice." And what did he do? Like a take and a half? Yeah, and it was destroyed. <laughs> he's like, I got, yeah, he's like, I gotta go. I gotta. He did go, it better Jimmy. than the band did. He, yeah, he did it better than like Levon Helm and like all those guys. <laughs> and Smith and Jimmy sent me the song, and I was like, holy shit! Like, mm-hmm. and Jimmy's, I'm like, how long did that take? And Jimmy's like, about four minutes, and he had to leave. <laughs> like, it's a great tune. Like yeah, the way they awesome. did it, you know, like they we had fun hard. with it. Yeah, you and, could tell. and you know, that was kind of like our first foray into like. You know, raising that was like one of the first things you and I worked on together. I think. I think that no, no, no. The push video was. Remember how oh, I right, had to right. do the jump, but that was yeah. only like you and me meeting for about thirty seconds while I did. Right. It. Yeah. This was like the first premeditated project that we did. Um. And but the you know, the awful thing about um, what what we do, and I think it I think it's part of what takes away the magic from it is 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 that we did that for free. We did it for fun. We did it because we wanted to do it. Right. And you know strangely when money comes into the equation like it, it, it's almost like it, it's almost like you have it, it's like trivial pursuit the pie like your pie is filled with creativity all right the moment you have to worry about revenue mm-hmm. a lot of those pieces of that trivial pursuit pie get taken out and get replaced by thoughts of revenue right so so we haven't really done anything really like that since because now it's about like keeping the lights on and having like a livelihood and well at the time that i had met you uh you know you were still uh because then we did kind of a follow-up story just about 25 8 in general and stuff yeah which and, i appreciate thank you and and uh well it's fine it was how many years ago now i mean don't worry about it's it it's still cool uh, man i'm i'm still thankful for it but what i uh and i've, I've watched you guys develop from there because at, at that point uh you were doing it out of your house Yep, and then the basement of my house, yeah. Right. And then uh, you know, within what, a year, two years, whatever. I think within 
uh, yeah, within a year we moved into here. Right. And this, yeah. you know, here, you know, for people who are, are listening and not seeing this, I mean, this is a, a, a pretty sizable warehouse that they've kind of, you, you guys have customized essentially. 7,500 square feet. Yeah, in in this huge studio. So yeah. I mean, you you have the recording studio in here, the stud that we're in now, and then you have uh, these hallways with different rooms, with editing rooms and things like that. Uh, and then you have you know, uh, uh, basically there's a stage out 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 here in the the main warehouse An area. Infinity wall. Yeah. Um, we have we have uh, two photographers. Um, well, two two photography companies here who are both talented in their own right. Uh, two Stick Studios and iDesign Studios. And then starting November 1st, Corey Wolf's moving in. Yeah, I, I, I remember you mentioned that the other yeah, day. That's really so, great. Um, uh, he was one of our uh, guests on one of our episode, earlier podcasts. Episode two. That's right. Um, so, I, you know, 2015 seems to be sizing up for, you know, us to kind of like lean towards a direction or at least me in particular to lean towards a direction of something that I, I really want to do um, unless, you know, we fuck it up. But. Um, I, I, I hope we don't like the people I'm working with, uh, especially in this movie nine line are incredible people. And especially the director, Carrie Patton, he's, um, he's, a, he's a military guy, but I've never met somebody who's so fair and so patient with somebody who's as wacky as me besides Lauren. Um, <laughs> you, you're the only one that I think can put up with me as far as like, you know, the crazy shit and, how my mind works and you know, you're just, you're just very. Okay. So this is the part of the show where I want to say to all of you <laughs> without crying, um, you keep me centered and I appreciate it more than any, than you, I think you will ever understand rich. You're the guy who, you know, I, I, I look up to and I, and I envy and I could never do a 10th of what you do. Um, and I know you, you brush me off, but that's how I look at you. And Jimmy, I, I see like, st I still don't know why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jimmy, honestly, honestly, like from the heart, man, I, I love you to death. The fact that you, um, number one, like, you know, do these podcasts, like anything that I ask you to do, um, and you, and you know that you can always say no, but anything I ask you to do, you always do them and you do them maybe 1% of the time you, you might complain, but the other 99% of the time you're there. Um, and especially with the, with the film end of things, because in a weird way, man, like you're making all of what I want to do possible. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. Now don't fuck it up. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no, no, I, it, I, and I and I mean that truly. Like you guys are right. Well, I, I, you guys are you guys are honestly like my center. Besides my girlfriend, and it all my, comes back to parents. we're all here because we love what we do. Yeah, that's right. So that's how we all got here. Yeah, that's our 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 passions kind of brought us all together. Essentially, you know. Yeah, and it's weird, like how we're like we're, we're we all kind of have like different disciplines, and and you know we're in the same room, right? Talking about shit that in a weird way we can all relate to and we can all be a part of it. Yeah. And it's, and I, and I feel incredibly thankful for it and I'm grateful. Yeah. It's cool. Cause I, I mean, I've known, uh, you know, uh, Mark for a few years. I've known Jimmy for a few years. Uh, Lauren, I just met really like, 
not too long before we started Podcast doing this. One. Basically the first day. <laughs> yeah. So I've been getting to know you, you know, uh, through this and that's been a lot of fun. It has. Yeah. That's cool. And, and, um, you know, I, I think we all kind of bring a different dynamic to it cause we all have different perspectives and different backgrounds and stuff. You know, like my, my background is so drastically different from all that too. Yeah. But we still, I mean, I think I, you know, I think the common denominator that we all have is, is that, the paths that we thought we were supposed to be on and the things that we did ended up not leading us in directions we expected. And I think we're in better places. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like I, I never thought I'd be here, um, you know, doing, uh, any PA scene and, and you know why I'm doing it and everything else. It's, it's, it's strange. Cause like, you know, it makes sense in the big scheme of things, but, um, you know, just looking back on, you know, how I got here and whatever is just a weird way. Like if, if, uh, yeah, if how? I knew it was going to end up here, you know, I would have thought, you know, it'd be a, a straighter path. It was kind of, you know, curvy and all no, over I the think, place. I think we know? all took the scenic route. Yeah, you know? definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I know I definitely did. I took the path of most resistance. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I just hope upon hope that we can, we can take, you know, that, that, that feeling that we have and we can, and we can, and we can constantly hold on to it so that, so that we don't forget. Right. So that we don't, you know, let that fall to the back of our minds, why we do what we do and why we care so goddamn much. You know right. what I mean, cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of days where you're like, ah, just fuck it. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah. And, and that happens to me a lot, uh, especially recently. And like, I, I met a, a guy the other day, I had a kind of a business meeting and I'm just starting to get into the business aspect of things, which is I a, warned a you. nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did to be fair, but at least I let you know. So you, you know did. what you're in for. Absolutely. And, um, it was just very clear that this guy had a, just a very different mindset of, you know, like he, he, um, you know, I came in kind of with an idea of what he did and, and, uh, you know, this meeting was set up and, and he hadn't even looked at the website at that point. He looked at it like while he was talking to me. So I was kind of like put off by that right off the bat. And, um, but you it, can't take offense to that. Well, he, he, but he essentially went through and like, I don't think he said an, an, a nice thing. Like, I, I don't think he, like everything he had to say was some sort of criticism or, you know, you should be doing this or making money on that, or this is how you do this and whatever. And it was like, well, you know, what you do is obviously very different from what I do. A and B, you know, I'm, you're very successful at what you do. I'm not gonna, you know, uh, deny that that's fine. Um, but I think, you know, he didn't, he didn't really see the, 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 the passion or, or the work, you know, and he didn't really look at it. You know what I mean? He didn't even click on one link on the site. He just looked at the front page and said a bunch of things and that was it. Right. And didn't really see what we were trying to do or how we were trying to do it. And, you know, it, it everything, I felt like everything I was saying, I was kind of digging a deeper hole. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't helping at all to describe what, what, what I was doing or it, I mean, it was like, it, it was trying to, uh, describe quantum physics to uh, a person who only speaks Chinese and you know, I only speak English, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm digging my hole deeper and deeper trying to explain this. And, and, you know, he's just you're standing never, there like, what are you talking about? You're never going to sell people on passion. I mean, he, I, I mean, the thing, the thing is, 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 is from, from what all of us do, 
um, from Jimmy to Lauren to you to me is that we want our whole goal is 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 to do what we want or do what we love and make a living at it. And at the same time, while we're making a living at it, whomever we're doing it for, because we're at the end of the day, like it is for us, but it isn't for us. Like Jimmy's not recording an album for him. He's recording it for a client. Right. I'm not doing a video for me. I'm doing it for a client. You're doing an article for, for, you know, a, a band so that, you know, if you just wrote your thoughts, like what, what the hell would it matter? Like you have your purpose is there and it's for them. You know, Lauren, Lauren doing strategy and stuff. It's like, it's not for her. You know what I mean? It's, it's for other, it's, You're for, helping it's other for other people. people. So, right. so being that, you know, we're trying to do, you know, what we love and we're trying to make money at it. You know, we want to make the people that we work for and with happy. And we, and we try a lot to do that. I mean, everybody has a bad day. Everybody has a bad moment. Everybody, you know, has a bad week or month, you know, Lord knows I do. Um, and we, and we want to make people happy and we want to, you know, you know, I've had, I've had employees where like, you know, I love them to death and just shit didn't work out. And right. It, and it bothers me. Like it, 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 you know, it still bothers me today, mm-hmm. you know, about how stuff did not work out and, yeah. and it breaks my heart, but the world's got to keep going. Right. You know, PPNL doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, you know, I'm sad. Yeah, you know they want just, they want their money. Mm-hmm. I think um, more importantly, the fact that you listen to your audience says a lot more for anything. I think all of us kind of appreciate the audience that we're doing all of this for, even right. more than specifically the person who made us do whatever it is that we're creating. Right. Oh yeah. I think ultimately mm-hmm. that's all that really matters because they're the ones that have to put up with the stuff that we make. Well, you know, it, for for me, like the, the audience is the reason that you're you're doing it. You know, like like uh, you know, it's for yourself. You know, and you know, all art is is a little selfish in that way. You know, because you're you're trying to express yourself or how you feel or whatever. But uh, you know, like it, it go it goes all the way back to you know when I was a, a kid and uh, I just I wanted you know I was I was a real shy quiet nerd and I really wanted people to like me because nobody. You know, I, I went to uh, a Catholic school and um, it was tough for me to fit in because um, I just kind of, I was always different. Like I never felt like they did. I never acted like they did. I was just, you know, there was just something about me that stood out for some reason. And I was just mercilessly picked on or just always excluded. Like the people would just go out of their way to exclude me uh, in things. And I think all the other kids were, you know, come from at least families that had a little bit more money and that sort of thing. And uh, you life know, was a little bit easier for them. Right. Exactly. And and uh, and at least, you know, they were all in, you know involved in some sort of sports or whatever. You know, they had something and, you know, I, nobody was into the things I was into. You know, I right. was into, you know, comic books and cartoons and things like that. And there weren't really any other geeks in that. And, and at that point, you know, it, like ge- it, being a geek is so much more acceptable today and understandable today. And now in those days, it really wasn't. So um, it, it, it I got picked on for everything. Like, you know, what 
color socks I had on, what kind of tie I had, like this whole idea that, you know, if you go to Catholic school, like it, and you, everyone wears uniforms that, oh, you know, no one's going to get picked on that way. They say that a lot. Like, and that's, it's the opposite. They, 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 you know, the, the, I didn't have the right shoes to wear to gym class. You know, they would find something to, to, to pick on you for. And I wasn't, uh, you know, I learned very quickly that I wasn't religious either, you know, that I really didn't buy into the whole religion thing. And it was mostly because of the people that I had met um, were all these kids who, you know, would raise their hand and be like, oh, Jesus said this and Jesus said that. And they're all, you know, meanwhile, they're and, thrown into a locker. Yeah. Me, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, you know, like, uh, you know, they're cornering me in the bathroom and, you know, whatever. So it's just, just like fucking bullying. That's bullshit. Yeah. And and but you see, but now it's recognized as bullying. Back in the day, it was like, get over it. You know, like that's you didn't you didn't have that, you know, understanding today um, that, that, you know, in those days. So. Um, I was always never quite fit in and I always kind of thought differently from everybody else. And so by the time I got to high school, like I had embraced that and I was more comfortable with being that way because then I got, I got to go to public school and I met other people that were like me and yeah. it wasn't the same, uh, you know, rigmarole. And I finally got to, you know, I, I got into acting. I really wanted to do, that's what I really, what I wanted to do originally I, because I loved entertaining people. Like that was the only, the only thing that I had on people that, you know, that picked on me was like, maybe I can make them laugh. And then if I make them laugh, they'll like me, you know, like that kind of thing. So I got that's what it. I did. Yeah, I just uh, and because I knew I had something like I knew it was like I I, I had some sort of, you know, uh, feeling like that I wanted to do that. And I didn't know what it was, but uh, and I was very successful at it. You know, every year I would get a bigger part in the play and I got the lead my senior year and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I came out of my shell. I was able to to talk to people after that. I mean, at that point. You know, I, I knew how to express myself and how to talk in front of people and not feel weird and uncomfortable. And so, you know, those introvert, you know, the, the, the introversion is still there in some form or another, but uh, it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. So, um, but then I, I got into writing too and, and blogging really before it was, you know, blogging. And, and uh, you know, I found that was a different way to express myself and that was fun too. And it was, you know, a little easier because you didn't have to do it in front of an audience. You know, you just kind of put it out on the internet or yeah. whatever. And, uh, you know, I would take classes uh, like, uh, you know, we had creative writing classes and I'd read uh, the the stories and stuff and, and the kids would really respond to them. And that was like the, like an audience responding to what you're doing. There's just that immediate satisfaction with it. And well, it's a, it's a, it's a validation where you're like, yeah. Oh, I'm not. I, I, yeah. And at that point, I I'm like, not making I, shitty cookies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I, it was like, uh, okay, I'm not, I'm not crazy. Like people really right. will, you know, like this if I do this, that kind of thing. So then it was like choosing between, uh, pursuing acting in college and pursuing that. And it was like, you know, I didn't have the money to go to some great big college or anything like that. And I didn't ne necessarily have the, the big school ambition either. Cause at that point I just wanted to do it. I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily want to go to school and you know, to do it, to, to well, be. there's the, 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 <laughs> the, the family pressure and the societal pressure to immediately go to college yeah. right after you get out of high school. And at that point I was still like on the edge of really what I wanted. Like, I don't know exactly what I want to do or how, you know, what classes I should be taking to work towards what goal. I didn't know what the goal was right you now at that point. I knew what I liked to do, but I didn't know how I was going to make a living off of it. So I think I just, I went to school too early. I just went to school right after I got out of high school 
And uh, I went to Marywood and it really, like I met a lot of uh, great friends and I had, a, uh, I had a good time there. And uh, I, en- I enjoyed that aspect of it, but the classes were almost useless to me, to be honest. I, don't, I didn't really learn very much uh, in my profession. I didn't really get, I, you know, as a writer, I, didn't f- I felt like the stuff I was doing on my own was making me better than the stuff that I was assigned doing to do. Doing class. Yeah, yeah it, it didn't, it, it, there, there really wasn't much that helped me except it just got me in a, in a shitload of debt, you know, just yeah. a, a, a ton of debt. So when I came out, um, you know, I didn't know what I, I worked in retail for years cause I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything to come out with because at that point it was like, okay, if I wanted, I don't want to be an English teacher, which is, you know, if you, you get an English degree, like I did, that's what they tell you to do. Sorry, Jim. If you don't want to do that, that's it. You know what I mean? Like what, what are your other options? You know, if you want to be a writer, it's like, you know, it takes years and years and years of, of you know, putting books out there and, and trying to get, you know, your name built up and publishers, you know, and there's all these nightmare stories about, yeah. you know, publishers taking all your money. And, you know, uh, it, it was, I, I didn't know if that was really what I wanted to do. And and so meanwhile, I just kind of kept just doing little writing on the side and stuff. And, and um, sooner or later, I was like, all right, I have to shit or get off the pot, you know? Yeah. So, I started applying for freelance jobs and uh, that's how I got into to newspapers and you know how we talked about in the first podcast uh, after the uh, I, I did freelancing then I became a staff writer then I became an editor so I, I, I really did the whole journalism thing almost at first it was like I'm going to make money I got to yeah. do this to make money and then it was like I, I need to do I, I need to do this because I love it. You know, right. I actually I, I really enjoyed it because it was a good mix of what I wanted to do. Like I love telling stories and I loved the fact that these were real people's stories. Right. They weren't being told, you know. So I, I loved that that aspect of being able to tell these stories and to tell them in a, a new, unique way because I had come from a creative writing background and not a reporting background. So I understood the mechanics of how to do reporting. But I was like, I'd, I'd rather play with them a little bit and do and approach it a little bit differently. See what see what see what that way of that way of reporting relates to me because of the fact of, um, you know, kind of like my style is almost like documentary esque, right? You know what I mean. So and and I love the idea of real stories. I love the idea of real people. Yeah. So so I mean, it was it was it was funny because. Um, as as I as I continued to to you know move up the chain or whatever, um, you get more and more. Uh, you I, I started feeling I started getting that feeling again of being an outsider. You know of like oh well, there moving are, up the chain. Yeah, well there are less and less people that think like I do. You know and and so I, I it went back to you know like the the that feeling again of of just like being the only guy in the room who thinks that way. And I was like, you know, this, this is not good. <laughs> like that, that, uh, um, that this company is increasingly, uh, uh, pushing these creative people away. And, and I saw them all jumping the boat and going to, uh, the other media company. Cause that's just what you do around here. If you're a journalist, you have two choices, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, I can't, I, I can't do that. You know, once, once I got laid off, I was like, I can't go back to to uh, th- this That's whole so process crushing. again. Yeah. yeah, because I knew I'd have to start at the bottom and work my way up again. And it's like at this point, I felt like I already did so much good work and I built up so much goodwill with what I was doing. Why? Why take ten no, steps? Capitalize backward? on it, man. 
Right. So so now uh, it's basically I'm asking people to kind of put their money where their mouth is. So that's that's really the the interesting part of it because for years all I heard was. Uh, you know, all all local media sucks and they don't do this right and they don't do that right and whatever. Well, all right. I'm going to try to do something completely different. I'm going to try to take a different approach. Now you're either going to, now at this point, put up or shut up. Are you going to support it or you're not going to support it? You know? Can I, can I just say two things? Sure. Number one, I'm kind of happy you got picked on as a kid and I don't want that to come off sounding mean. Actually, I am too. Because uh, it, got, it made, me it who made you who you are. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing too is, you know, as as far as as far as what you're doing, um, you know, and and you know, maybe Lauren and, and and Jimmy can chime in on this on 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 our feelings. Um, I think, you know, when when I loved the vintage, I loved what it stood for. Yeah. I loved um what it did. I love Connor. I love Teresa. Uh, Jimmy actually, Jimmy, you went to high school with Teresa, didn't you? Or no, you knew her from. Uh, wow, um, I knew her. She her cousin used to date Nate. Oh, okay. The the this, this for for uh you know some listeners the vintage theater and in, in uh, yeah um and then you know it it just became overwhelming for them and they had to after five years kind of shut it down sure and somebody uh, asked me the question you know what happened to the vintage and I said you know why don't you ask the community right you know what I mean um because everyone loved it but nobody supported it. Right. Um, I think in the case of what you're doing, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a corporation. You know what I mean? I just need, I, I really don't need people to believe in me. Right. You know, I, I mean, they do have to believe in me, but not, not in the way of, of what you're trying to do. Like if I, if I give them some, if they, if I give them what they want, they'll call me again. Yeah. Which is fine. Um, but I think everybody out there listening, if you've made it this far, I think, um, you need to realize that the things that the things that you care about and the things that mean something to you, which also means the people that care about you and the people that you mean something to, you have to be supportive of them. You have to spread the word. You have to tell a friend. You have to share a link. You have to get the word out. Otherwise, the things that you care about disappear. And then when they disappear, you wish you could have done something about it. So don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. The more you know. <laughs> well, you know, I'm speaking in terms of, of any PA scene. Right. Well, com coming from, you know, uh, like, I, because I, I'm, I'm very much like I'm extremely uh, liberal to the point where some liberals look at me and go, whoa, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know if you're Rachel Maddow liberal, no, but, but, uh, uh, or uh, I'm, you know, I'm not religious at all. I'm very atheistic and very skeptical. Um, Just keep those things quiet. <laughs> well, and yeah, and that's, t is, uh, you know, that in itself is, is you know, and it is alienating for, for me or to, to, to think that way because, you know, a lot of people are like, whoa, whoa, you know. So I, I usually don't, especially with any PAC, and I don't get into any of that stuff and I don't approach that stuff because that, that stuff's not important to, you know, the overall, well, it's you not, know, what, it's, I'm, it's what, not what I'm trying to do scene. or whatever. Uh, but it has played into the attitude that I've kind of taken with it. Like, I feel like this is, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe in, you know, uh, a, 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 
path of, of destiny or anything like that was laid out for me or whatever. But it was like, I, it totally makes sense why I ended up here. You know, like I don't think I could have worked for the big company forever because sooner or later they no. would have weaseled me out and figured out, eh, nope, that guy doesn't fit in. He's not right. Get him out of here. You know, no. And, and, and you know, and, and in your defense, man, I, I can't find a more regardless on belief system or, right. or, or political beliefs. Yeah. Um, I, find you one of the most generous um thoughtful human beings that i've ever met oh thank you and you know I, you still got some west side in you which i like sure yeah that's, you know what I mean? that's there and don't let that leave <laughs> and um you know maybe i speak for everybody here but you know i i we wouldn't be here if we didn't believe in you we wouldn't be here if we didn't believe in us right you know so we're kind of like the fantastic four yeah you know we got each other's back sometimes we don't agree mm-hmm. but at least we got each other's back and we respect Sure. each other which i think is awesome now i'm immediately thinking well which one's which then it's probably me no no like which members of the fantastic four are we all in J- jimmy's je- definitely the human torch oh yeah J- jimmy's human torch <laughs> yeah. okay jimmy's human torch your read i'm sorry that you have to be invisible woman by default why <laughs> because you're a woman and a lot of the times we disregard your opinions so you're invisible <laughs> I'm, just just I'm just kidding just <laughs> kidding <laughs> just because kidding. you're a woman <laughs> no, that that was totally uh uh not to, to sidetrack but that was totally a thing in the movie that really pissed me off what, uh, that, about the whole like oh she's invisible because uh the other people don't see her whatever that was never a fucking part of her character fuck off just wait until oh, the new one screws it up even worse. oh it's gonna be so much worse yep. I'm, um, I'm so afraid for that movie do we have a last word today uh yeah we actually uh just a a very quick one we actually um thank you everyone for making it this far and and hearing uh all, yeah all of our stories and and me finally be i i did i did Honest. talk to uh our friend uh, uh bill danger robinson from Again? last week a couple more times yeah we went back and forth a couple more times and then he finally gave did he up. listen uh no i just i just whipped him so bad that he felt like an idiot and stopped commenting so you know I just wish did he listen. acknowledge the uh no your, the, your trolls references? trolls never do they just he just left something like stupid and nonsensical because I said, I said, I know you're going to smell like, like poo. Yeah. At that point, I had completely uh, annihilated anything that he had to say. And he uh, he just like he, he put like hashtag NEPA hashtag Haina. And that was it. <laughs> that really just summed his whole argument up. Right. Yeah. That was all he had left oh, at that you, point. You got me. It was like he yeah. shorted out, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beep, boop, boop, boop. Yeah, robot just shut the <laughs> robot from Lost in Space just yeah. uh, completely Neepa shut up. Danger will yeah. Robinson. <laughs> All right, so what's the new one? So this this guy um, is uh, he is a, he's actually um, one of the guys who comes to the open mic nights, and he commented on the last podcast. So I figured we'd I'd read that, and he just said uh, he, he was ta- he he commented. Uh, SoundCloud lets you comment wherever you want in in during the podcast or whatever. Yeah, so you, you can actually I see that. I think that's a pretty cool thing yeah, about SoundCloud. I like that a lot too because then you can yeah. see what they're commenting on specifically. But now we're on iTunes, so we are, uh, and we should mention that. So okay, Let, we we'll are. We'll put it in the description. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. All right. 
he's he just uh he now was, is this now is this guy do you know this guy yeah yeah uh he's actually uh his name is kyle rebar and he's going to be oh i love kyle uh, kyle's going to be one of the uh performers at our uh open mic showcase that we're doing uh, kyle's fucking out there man his, his stuff is fantastic so kyle's but here's kyle is absolutely here's the thing about kyle kyle is um I don't know if they're they're a duo, but Kyle Rebar and Kevin Vogren are are you know like the two dudes who um, are very uh, they they do this thing called the Iron Reels, which is every first Friday they'll show um, independent work in progress, blah 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 films that you're working on or music videos or whatever. Kyle is they're both brilliant, yeah, um, and Kyle is just Kyle's Kyle uh, uh, drives a scooter. <laughs> that only that only goes about 25 miles an hour and he'll and he'll drive from like susquehanna county he can't drive on a highway because he's not permitted for it he takes all the back roads to where he's got to go he's totally i like he's awesome and he's great to talk to but he's willing to do anything for anybody like that's kyle like that's how cool kyle is I hope this comment isn't negative it's not because <laughs> i just was like kyle's pretty awesome no, it's definitely not. Uh, okay, I figured since last week we harped on the the negative guy. Let's let's do a positive one okay. this week. So he he uh, the, he's he comments at the part where uh, uh, our comedian uh, Zach Hammond, who was our uh, guest last week, was talking about all the things that go into being a comedian, and specifically the part where he's describing how he has to change his set sometimes, you know, midstream, like in the middle of. Uh, a room because you know right. the room changes or yeah. they turn on you and and that sort of thing. So he says, uh, "Wow, this gives me a whole new respect for comedians. Comedy now equals most respected live act, man." <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And uh, Kyle does uh, this kind of mix of poetry and performance art sort yeah. of thing that uh, is very unique and very cool. Um, so that's that's definitely a high compliment and. Uh, Especially, I would, especially I would, for the comedians around here. I yeah, I would agree with that because uh, you know having to talk talk to these guys and seeing what they do and everything. Yeah, comedy is, is very hard, and making people laugh is very hard. And to to then have to get up in front of a room and think you've you've got your set covered, you've you've practiced the jokes, you know how to deliver them, and then you hear silence, or then somebody in the room starts heckling you. Or people are talking through the whole thing, you know. Like there's, I mean, the so scary, many things that can go wrong. The scary thing is, is it's interactive art when you, and it's not supposed to be. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? I talk, be you laugh or listen. Because you know, you you see professional comedians do it, uh, especially on like TV, on Comedy Central, or or you you watch an hour special or something, and and they're so they're so good at what they do at that point that um, you just see the audience laugh and them tell the jokes for an hour and that's yeah. it. And you think that's how it's done, that you just you memorize no. an hour worth of, of great material, you get up there and recite it, and then people just love you. Yeah. And it's it's so much more work than that. You know, you have to get to that point. It takes years and years and years of dedication. And to constantly be like kicked in the nuts. Right. And keep going. Like to have the fortitude to like do another set tomorrow. Yeah. After like last night's was shitty, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not because of, you know, like, I mean, we'll use Zach for the example, but it's not, you know, it's probably not because Zach wasn't funny. It's just because the crowd would just wasn't there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and like that, what it would it kick to the ego or, or, or a kick to the subconscious just to be like, Jesus Christ, like, 
none of this works. Sure. You know, we did, we did a short film once and, uh, it played around here twice. And the first time it played, it was like, bah, ha, ha, belly laughs. And then the next time it played, it was crickets. Hmm. And the guy who made the short like was kicking, he was behind me and he's like, what do we do wrong? And I'm like, nothing, man. It's the audience. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't fault your film, man. Like you just gotta, you know, let it go. Chalk that one up to being like, now you have that experience. Sure. You know? Yep. And you can build on that. And the other thing too is like, you know, comedians going up there, like they're alone. You know, it's not like a band where you go up and you're like, well, we'll all fail together. Yeah. You know, or we'll all succeed together. Like you own it, man. Like if you, I mean, that's scary. That's why like people are like, why don't you do karaoke? And I'm like, well, number one, it sucks. Yeah. And number two, I'm deathly afraid to go up there all by myself, man. Right. Because literally the, the eyes of the room are all on you. And if you fuck up, they're going to crucify you for it. Yeah. Because they're looking for you to fuck up. Right. You know, all they want you to do is just make a mistake. Mm-hmm. I saw Carlin on on uh, Jay Leno once, and he was doing. Did you ever hear his, his his baseball football bit? Yes. Halfway through, we forgot it. Oh wow! And then he was like, and he looked at the crowd. And he's like, "I've done this joke a thousand times. <laughs> totally forgot where I'm at right now." Wow! And everyone was like, "Yeah!" <laughs> and then he kicked right in. He remembered, and he goes, "Oh, that's where I was." And he went right back into the joke, like nothing happened. Mm. I saw it. It was amazing. But for people like, but but he has see see he has that goodwill built up with his audience. Oh yeah, people like, are like, people, oh you're Carlin. It's okay. You you take a minute because yeah. we know that you're you're this good all the time. Yeah. If you're you know an amateur, you're starting out, or people don't know who you are. Well, I mean, they love to see it. Like, if you're you. established, yeah, that's why like on SNL, if somebody breaks character and just starts losing it, like yeah, you're, that's funny. Yeah, you're cool with it. You know what I mean? But if you're if you're over at like the diva and somebody just like. Uh, yeah you know the audience is going to be like well that wasn't believable at all right and you're like no man because nobody's perfect people forget shit all the time sure jimmy jimmy's played songs a thousand times and all of a sudden he's like i have no idea where this song starts especially when i drink tequila it's a mind eraser (laughs) yeah it is that's what it should be called yeah um all right well yeah well, and, and that, you know, I, I think that kind of plays into everything we've been talking about with, uh, you know, supporting artists and, and to keep uh, uh, living your dream and, and just going forward and doing it anyway. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I, 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 I learned some stuff today about you guys and, uh, you know, it gives me a new respect for what you guys do. Not so much, Jimmy. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was just a bag of hot wind today. You were a man. because you're, you're think, the human torch. <laughs> there you go. I don't even think you took a breath at the first 40 minutes of this. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, you were like just, the Micro Machines guy. I almost bought oh, a... Oh, I missed that, man. I almost bought a Buick off of you. I missed that guy. I forgot yeah. about him. Yeah. So, we and, should have him on here. Do you think we could track him down? I mean, his career is not still doing around. anything right now. So. Yeah. He, I, the, I was wondering about that. If we could get like a semi-famous person that just... It is not relevant anymore if we could get somebody like that on, t- on our podcast. What? Yes. Let's I, do it. No, let's aim for, for famous people. What? Let's aim for famous Do you know any famous people? Well, you got you to gotta get some of the not so hot ones first. You got to work your way up. Well, Fine, we'll do that. Mark, okay. when you go to the wedding, uh, you pick up Tom Cruise and bring him back. 
Him and I mm-hmm. share a birthday, so that's how I could break into that exactly. conversation. Right. And then bring up this whole thing. Yeah, and, or just make oh. him use the toilet after. That's yeah. the I, right. like I said before, I think yeah. that's the segue. If we're yeah. using that logic, then I'll get Prince William and Twiggy from Marilyn Manson. Prince William from England? Yeah. You know him? No, he's he shares my birthday. Oh, that's okay. not the logic I'm using. I'm just using that as my icebreaker. No. But how weird is that gonna be when it's like, Hello, I'm Tom Cruise and I'm like, You and I share a birthday. Please come like, on our podcast. Who are you? <laughs> Security. Yeah. I would like to talk about Oblivion in the day after tomorrow. Is that the name? No. You wouldn't want to talk to him about Scientology? No. Hmm. Absolutely not. Not even a question? No. Not at all. I'd, I'd, I'm more concerned about, oh my God, Edge of Tomorrow. That's what I want to talk about. Those yep. are my two favorite science fiction movies of the last two years, man. Tom Cruise, take his personal life out of it. He's He's fucking awesome, and 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 I'll tell you what, man. I've I've worked with the crew members in L.A. Um, it was right around the it was right around the couch jumping incident. Yeah, and they were like, "Dude, believe what you want to believe about Tom Cruise, but he is the nicest dude we have ever worked for." Hmm. You know, he was excited. Guy was in love. He yeah. was. Why? Are we, you know, I don't scream it from the rooftops, but he decided to jump on a couch on Oprah, like. And if you watch it and you go back, you know, Oprah was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Crowd was awesome. Crowd went crazy. <laughs> and then all you do is you get a six-second snippet on the news, and that now defines Tom Cruise, which I think is horrible. Will you will you, uh, will you jump on the couch for us to show us that it's okay? No, I'm just so fat and lazy that'll never. <laughs> <laughs> I might slowly roll off the couch like a turtle and be like, I'm in love. <laughs> <laughs> so, So I guess you're the thing then. I'd have to be the by default. I'd have to be the thing. Mm-hmm. I think I. I mean, I have more of the build for it. Plus, you've been smoking the whole time too, and and I know. And now I'm at a cigarette, so I'm onto the the inside vape. But you need you need a big cigar. You need a big like that's Hate that's cigars. how. I pick. Ah, damn. Hate cigars. All right. Well, can't stand them. Okay. Um, we want to thank everybody for listening and making it to eleven episodes. So that's just from me. Anybody else want to say anything? No. Yeah. No. That's why don't you want to say anything? I'm tired now. Say something <laughs> positive, Lauren. Please. Something positive. It's a lot of pressure. Jimmy, you want to say something positive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I thought that was it. <laughs> no, no, I have something very positive. All right, go. Um, if you have a chance, check out thestude.com. Project Blue Book is now available as a searchable um, database at theblackvault.com. Somebody over the years has found all of... Prior to this, the only way to get the documents was in person. This guy actually... Wait, people don't know what Project Blue Book is. Uh, it's um, all of the... The, the um, government records. The on. government records on people who saw unidentified flying objects in the sky. And there was back in the 1950s, there was a committee that was created to determine whether these were a threat or not to the national security. And the the over... T- like I said, the only way to get these documents was to see them in person. This person, there's a guy, a UFO enthusiast that has named Jim Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, I wish that has got not only copies of these, but he has they scanned the original documents on from the microfilm or whatever microfiche, microfiche, and then he has taken OCR software to um, digitally scan the characters so that they are now searchable, even like from the photographs or whatever. So you can go online and there's over like 150 or 100,000 documents or something like that. Okay, so how was that positive? Because now we... we um, I'm talking about like us as a group, as a podcast. We, we can definitely 
take it upon ourselves to do our own investigation. Thank you all for pushing the envelope <laughs> further in terms of the media available. I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, challenge everything. Um, all media has its place in the world, and I think every audience has to find the media right for them. And I think it's really good of us to have this available as an option for a specific kind of audience. And I also want to say in the coming weeks, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. Baby. <laughs> you just ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's it. That's yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you, um, everyone. And thank you, especially to uh, my compatriots, Lauren, Rich and Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jer. Thank you, Jer Tolman. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jer, for. Big idea. Photo, video. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.